106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What the mainstream media was too afraid to tell you about the news this week, this week, while the mainstream media obsessed over Democrats eating fried chicken on the floor of the House of Representatives, here are the things that happened that really matter. As the left continues to hurl baseless accusations at Attorney General Barr, accusing him of lying to Congress in his letter about the Mueller report, special counsel Robert Mueller himself actually confirmed that Barr's letter to Congress was accurate. This whole lie was debunked by the Washington Post, believe it or not, when they reported that Mueller sent Barr a letter complaining about Barr's letter to Congress. But if you read that whole article, way down in paragraph 14, it says, the day after Mueller sent that letter to Barr, Mueller and Barr spoke on the phone, and Mueller confirmed that Barr's letter to Congress was accurate, and that Mueller was just annoyed by Barr's media rollout strategy. Mueller thought Barr should release the report piecemeal, Barr waited to redact it all, and then release the whole thing. But did the mainstream media report this very important fact to you? Did the mainstream media call out the left for lying or stick up for their own reporting? Nope, the mainstream media didn't say a word. They hoped the truth would get lost in the shuffle. Vice President Joe Biden has been dismissing the idea that China is a threat to the United States. But back in 2013, Vice President Biden traveled to China with his son, Hunter Biden, to talk about serious issues like the South China Sea and trade. And two days after they returned to the United States, Hunter Biden signed a $1.5 billion equity deal with the Chinese Communist Party. And suddenly, after that, Joe Biden's stance on China policy softened. But did the mainstream media report on this? Nope. The mainstream media only cares about collusion and corruption if it's Republicans. The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom released their 20th annual report that lists the worst violators of religious liberty around the world. Among the 16 countries they identify are China, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Nigeria, and Eritrea. Guess what else those five countries all have in common? They are all on the UN Human Rights Council, and your tax money goes to the UN funding these human rights abusers deciding if other people are committing human rights abuses. And guess what else these nations have in common? That's right, they all target Christians. But did the mainstream media report on this? Nope, the mainstream media ignores persecution of Christians. A Canadian father was threatened with arrest without warrant by the Supreme Court of British Columbia if he refers to his transgender daughter in public or in private with female pronouns. This horrible violation of the man's freedom of speech and parental rights comes after he was convicted of family violence because he refused to call his trans daughter a boy. And that came after the court ruled that his 14-year-old daughter could have hormone injections, even though her father said he wanted to address her mental health issues first. And did the mainstream media report on this? Of course not. The mainstream media didn't say a word. A new study by the American Enterprise Institute analyzed the proposed policies encompassed in the Green New Deal and the impact each policy would have on the environment. AEI found that even if the Green New Deal were to become the law of the land, even if it were fully funded, even if it were fully executed and efficiently meeting its goals, it would still have zero impact on the climate. The whole plan, even if it worked, would only cut the global temperature by 0.083 to 0.173 degrees, 
which is barely distinguishable from zero. But did the mainstream media report this really important study? Did the mainstream media ask why the Democrats are still supporting the Green New Deal if it won't do what the Democrats claim it will do? Nope. The mainstream media is silent. The mainstream media doesn't care to report any of that to you, so we will. Or good afternoon, or good evening, uh, whenever you're listening. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. And this is a new podcast. We, th- we still feel like it's new. We started about, uh, I think this is our sixth uh, episode. And we're glad you're listening today. And we spent uh, five or six years, I always give an introduction, or I still give an introduction about where we came from, uh, maybe a couple more, and then we'll move on. But uh, if you've been looking for us, we, for five or six years, spent uh, doing a Saturday 9 to noon radio show on AMFM up here in Northern California, or like we call it, uh, Calazuela, or the state of Jefferson, hopefully. And we, after about five or six years, uh, we felt we needed to move to a podcast. So here we are. And this way, everybody can hear us great every week, and we are uh, should be clear on any type of device you're connected to us on. So you can catch us on the computer. You can go to our website, which also has articles that I write for the Territorial Dispatch. And you can go to that website at nohostagesradio.com, or uh, you can go to your favorite app store maybe itunes or over at google and you could just put in no hostages radio hopefully that'll be there you could just click on that and if you want to uh, connect to us then you'll be notified every time we put up a new show or a new episode episode and that should be early on saturdays uh we're doing one a week at this point and that's been our habit over many many years is do a show a week we're talking about uh, a lot of news that you won't hear on the mainstream media. And, of course, you're getting my bias and my objective, my perspective on what's shaken. So I've been raised up in the Northern California area, born and raised up here, and have been involved in, in a variety of uh, some church work and done that all over the world, still do that. Uh But a few years ago, a friend of mine kind of gave me the nudge to go on the radio. I hadn't had any experience in doing that. And uh, I really wasn't interested in using my Saturdays to do radio, but I got a nudge and a push and a little pressure to do it. So I started out doing an hour, and that led to a few hours uh, Saturday. And now we're on to a podcast. So uh, glad you're here. Hope you enjoy the show. We have a lot of... interesting topics some of them are pretty discouraging depressing others are inspiring uh so i hope you enjoy the show we are not a profit-making operation we're we're my interest here is to try to make a difference uh before i leave the earth and uh my dad uh was a hard-working guy and uh 
he just was responsible, hardworking, and did what he needed to do to take care of business in life and ended up uh, when World War II was declared. He joined the Navy, spent four, four years or so of his life until the war was ended. And I often uh, use him as my motivation because that's four or five years of his life that he, meant, he, he spent making sure that we had a country, a nation, that had uh, the unique liberties and freedoms that only America has, only America has, and the possibilities of starting with nothing and ending, ending up with a lot. And so uh, not only my father, but my, his, one of his brothers, uh, who was young enough still to go in the military, his older two were too old to go in the military. They were the, the two younger brothers went in the military. Both of them have served the entire time till the war ended. So I think of that. I have uh, my children are raised. They have their own families. And now today I think about my grandkids. What kind of life in the United States are they going to have? And... Uh, I'm concerned about that. So I thought when I was pushed to do the radio, I thought, well, I'm just going to tell my perspective. There's a lot of voices out there and everybody's going to be influenced by somebody. And so my interest is that uh, I can lean into or influence people towards the American way. I'm not saying we're perfect. Nothing is perfect. No way is perfect. But the American way is provided the most freedom uh, the most prosperity, uh, the most justice, uh, the world over. And I've, uh, I'm just not saying that because I read it in a magazine. I've actually looked around and spent a lot of time in many countries of the world as a part of my work with the church of glad tidings in Yuba city, California, they began sending me to various countries where we had projects going on. And, uh, you get a good look when you go places, don't you? you? You visit places. It's one thing to hear about something. You want to hear about a ghetto or a slum or poverty. And it's another thing to go there and live there for a while. I was talking to some people the other day. I forget uh, actually who it was, but we got to talking. Oh, I was uh, getting some therapy on my knee. And uh, I was talking to the two therapists, and, we, and one of them said that he'd been to Cambodia. We got to talking about poverty. And we were talking about Mexico. And uh, and I said, you know, we really the word poverty doesn't have any meaning anymore because we use the same term to describe a person living in a Vietnamese village. Uh, no running water, no no proper sewage system, dirt floor, uh, no heat, no electricity, very little electricity into the house. We use the term uh, no health care and kind of hand-to-mouth survival. We use the same term for them, they, they're the poor, as we use for someone living in one of the rougher areas of whatever city you're living in in America, where people are poor in poverty, but they have a cell phone. Uh, they have cash. They, they, can, uh, they have an EBT card, if you want to call it that, or a welfare card system. They have money that somebody else is earning and giving it to them through the government. They have a television. They have heat and air conditioning. Most of them have air conditioning, heat, sure. Uh, they live in a house. Uh, they have insulation in that house. They have a microwave. In many cases, they have a refrigerator. All these things are 
uh, not to be found in serious poverty, like in one of the uh, therapists told me, physical therapist told me he'd been to Cambodia. I don't know what he was doing there, but he just he just rolled his eyes and just said poverty like you've never seen. I've been there a number of times and 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 am involved in helping orphans in Cambodia. We ship a couple containers of uh, anti-starvation meals and other relief goods to Cambodia each month. And uh, I'm very familiar with what's going on in Cambodia, as well as Vietnam, Laos, uh, North Korea, China, uh, because I've spent time in in those countries or have been involved in what's in in some of the uh, uh, underground uh, church work in those countries. So. uh, The term poverty is sort of a term that we throw around loosely. People in America can make twenty, twenty-seven, thirty-eight, forty thousand dollars, depending on how many kids they have in the house, and not do a lick of work. They just simply need to sign up for programs. Did you know that? So, anyway, I'm going to talk about a variety of things today, and I want to move on to a couple other topics here. Uh, happy Mother's Day, by by the way. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Sunday is Mother's Day. It's probably one of the biggest events of the year, actually. Father's Day doesn't doesn't even come close to Mother's Day. So happy Happy Mother's Day to all those folks out there. Whether you birthed a child, adopted a child, or maybe you're a grandmother and you're raising your grandkids, who knows? But if you're a mom of any, at any way, uh, have a good day tomorrow. And if you're going to spend time with mom, do her right and have a good time, have some fun and, uh, take the workload off her and, uh, just uh, celebrate motherhood. I noticed the, a woman's friend, uh, pregnancy resource center located in Yuba city, California, uh, which I had a little bit of influence in getting started back in, I think, about 1987 or something like that. They, they've been around for at least 25 years or so, 30 years, 30 years, I think, 32 years. Anyway, uh, they had a big walk for life here. I think it was last Saturday and raised a lot of money uh, for their cause. Uh, and they they work with mothers and it's all it's all from donated uh, effort in-kind goods and funding. Uh, if you ever have a need, uh, for some help, they even help new moms with some supplies and, and, uh, stuff you need when you have a baby. So well done. Uh, just want to say well done to a woman's friend and all these crisis, uh, centers to help moms up and down the, up and down the state of California. They have fought the government. They have fought, uh, liberals uh, just because they wanted to encourage and help women. And they, you know, women are, the, the liberals claim that the conservatives are anti-woman, a war against women. Actually, the conservatives are the one that fund all these crisis centers, or these resource centers for women. It's interesting. Go in there and get free everything. Planned Parenthood charges you and then charges the taxpayer to kill kids and stop kids from being born. And all these uh, pregnancy resource centers help uh, moms out every way, do sonograms, do all kinds of stuff, uh, give them diapers and formula and counsel them for free. Isn't that interesting? But the, the, the news media always tells you how wonderful Planned Parenthood 
is. That's because the news media in the in the state of California throughout the United States now has changed from being an independent news uh, deliverer to a uh, just another wing of the liberal Democrats and socialists in this country. So you don't really hear the truth. Well, the reason uh, we're on the air, um, I, I gave you the philosophical reason, but but the practical reason uh, that we stay on the air is because we have some people supporting us. And I want to mention one of them from the beginning here, and that's Elite Universal Security. And uh, up and down Northern California, up in the we have about 24 counties up here that are hoping eventually to leave the state of California and start the state of Jefferson. But in a few of those counties in Butte, Shasta, Yuba, Sutter, right up the center of the North State, uh, there's a security business called Elite Universal Security. And they uh, started down here in Yuba County, started by a veteran, a uh, military veteran. And uh, they've been operating successfully uh, for many years. And if you want a job, they are always advertising uh for jobs, for people that want jobs. They want helpers. They need some more help. And they'll actually train you to become a guard, a security guard. And they do all the classes themselves. They have a, uh, a classroom set up. And, and you can check this out at a couple locations, api-academy.com, api-academy.com, and at EliteUniversalSecurity.com. Now, those websites may jump over to one another and complement one another. But you can go there and, and find out all the classes, that and they advertise jobs there, and jobs up and down the state. You might be up in, uh, way up in the Redding area or Shasta County up there, or you may be down in Butte County, Chico area. But wherever you, you live, check it out. See if there's a job there for you. But they'll give you all the the type of security guard training you need to uh, get a license and you might be thinking about getting into law enforcement becoming a police officer a sheriff's deputy a correctional officer and this is great help that will lend right to that career so you can begin here and end up over there they also do uh concealed weapon permits uh uh, and the classes they do in the classes and the range so the next uh, they actually this weekend uh, they are doing classes, but it's too late to sign up for those now. But what you can do is sign up for the next set of classes on May 25 and 26. So it's a two-day system where you go in to do a day in the class, learn all about the rules and, and the safety issues with handling a weapon properly. And then the next day you go to the range and practice and, and uh, qualify to move on and get your permit. In fact, I was uh, noticing the other day that I think I mentioned last week that the Yuba County Sheriff's Department is allowing you to apply for permits online now. So that's that's new and that's easier. Right. And the other thing they do at uh, Elite Universal Security is you can get live scans and you can get them any day of the week, any time of the day. You can just go over there and get them. And they are uh, let me give you their phone number. They are 530-749-0280. That's 530-749-0280. And they're located here just outside of Marysville. Uh, so the other thing they do that I think is cool, and I hardly ever need it, but when you need it, you have to have it. And that's a notary. If you need a notary service, 
uh, they'll actually come to your business and instead of you taking your documents or you personally having to appear somewhere, they'll come to where you are. They call it a mobile notary service. So if you want to help us stay on the air or you just whether you want to help us stay on the air or not, uh, and you just need some of those services or you want to get into the business of security guard, uh, check out Elite Universal Security. And they're located at 5548 Feather River Boulevard in Yuba, Duba County, Yuba County. All right, so let's get into this today. And I got a couple other uh, people that like to help us that I'll talk about later on and uh, give them some credit because they're due every bit of it. I saw this and I was just so fascinated. You remember the uh, Judge Kavanaugh? Right when he appeared before the Justice Committee to be interviewed on whether he was going to be allowed to make it to a vote of the Senate to become a Supreme Court justice. Right. And uh, basically, Brett Kavanaugh, it seemed like he, he was a criminal by the time they got done with him, with the Democrats. They just made it sound like he, he sexually assaulted women. Uh, they found something wrong with actually drinking beer. I mean, it was an unbelievable. I think it's the worst attack on a, a judge uh, in the history of the country, even even worse than uh, Judge Thomas. So Judge Kavanaugh eventually was approved, affirmed as a, a Supreme Court justice and now sitting on the Supreme Court. So so some. Democrats, they put out a a survey, an online survey. It says, do you want more Supreme Court justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or do you want more justices like Brett Kavanaugh? Now, I haven't seen the film, and I don't know that I would bother to go watch it, but I think there's a film that came out, the movie, on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life, and I've seen clips of it somewhere. Maybe I went to the movie here around Christmas down in the San Diego area, and maybe I saw a trailer for it. So she's had quite a life, and she's, uh, I don't know how many years she has left, but she's struggled with health issues later, lately. But she was heavily involved in the ACLU before becoming uh, a Supreme Court justice. Very bright person and very liberal person. So the question was, do you want more Supreme Court justices like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or do you want more justices just like Brett Kavanaugh? What do you think just folks would say? Well, uh, before the the uh, survey was actually removed because it was embarrassing to the people that put it up, Kavanaugh actually had achieved 71 percent of the vote versus 29 percent of Justice Ginsburg. Now, the question was, if you're thinking about new Supreme Court justices as some of the older folks retire or if one happened to die, God forbid. But uh, what 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 would be the flavor or the tenor of justice you'd want? And they said, we want more. We want 71 percent. Seven out of 10 said we want more justices like we just got, like Brett Gen- Brett Kavanaugh. And we don't want any more like Ginsburg. Now, um, I thought that was telling. Now, at the time, they uh, they actually took the survey down. A quarter of a million people basically 
had voted. <clears throat> I don't I think it was on Twitter that this all happened, which I'm not uh, I'm not on that. But uh, I thought that was so fascinating. <clears throat> and it, it maybe shows the balance or the uh, or the perspective of many people. Uh, I would think more. Uh, I don't have any idea to prove this, but I think more maybe liberals do Twitter than conservatives. But who knows? I don't know. So uh, pretty interesting. I, I noticed that uh, the other day in in there's a, a news media in uh, Sacramento called KCRA or KCRA three. It's been a, a long term uh, TV station down there, and they had an article that I found fascinating because uh, one thing I tell people when I speak at, I speak a lot at the jail uh, inside the Yuba County jail and over at juvenile hall. Uh, I'm not smarter than the average person IQ wise, I don't think, but, but I've just lived longer than most people and living, being alive and getting around gives you a lot of interesting experience. And uh, so I've been fascinated as I have reminisced or recalled my early days growing up in in Northern California and what it was like in the family I grew up and what it was like in the families of those that were my friends and what it was like in our community and how people reacted and, and their attitudes towards police and their attitudes towards the government and and their the how Democrats and Republicans related to each other and a lot of those, I don't know, it was just, uh, I was just, I've thought a lot about it because you reflect on your past and say, well, how, is it the same today or is it different today? And the, the people that I meet today, young people are very different than I remember, uh, my friends, their attitudes. I'm not talking about better or worse. I'm just saying, you know, maybe you'll conclude after my comments worse today. But I'm just saying different. Like there was a really strong work ethic uh, in my high school friends. We all looked forward in up in Northern California, primarily in agricultural area. There were lots of jobs. If you could get to the farm, uh, and usually by the time you were 16, you could just, if you passed the driver's test, you could drive on your own. You didn't have all these limitations they have today in California. So my first full-time job was in the farm uh, work. And I had part-time jobs prior to that. Uh, but at 16, I could I got a car, I, a license, and I bought a car, and I could drive to the job. So I could go out there and work all day and come, come home whenever without having to depend on parents. But the discussion among my high school friends always was about earning money and where we're going to work. Everybody worked. Everybody went to the farm and worked. But at, back then, which it's interesting how laws have changed, the— the laws today forbid people that are 16 and 17 from driving equipment. And today, at that time, uh, if, you know, if we had a driver's license, you could drive a truck, not a tractor trailer rig, but a, a low boy truck or a, a bobtail truck, or, you know, another flatbed truck. And uh, you could drive uh, any kind of type of vehicles. You could drive tractors. You could drive forklifts at 16 years of age. And there weren't all these rules that the unions have now in, inflicted upon us through uh, the legislature. And so uh, when I read this article from KCRA about millennials, it's just so fascinating. Now, times have changed, right? 
uh, economic, the, uh, we're in a booming economy. But in California, we have a very strange thing that's going on. Strange and uh, bad thing in terms of housing and regulations that have caused the cost of housing to be sometimes two times as expensive as it is in other states just because of regulations and a baloney that that contractors have to put up with and pay pay fees for to put up housing so therefore when in the free market system you know we have government housing which is a total disaster it's proved to be a total disaster everywhere and then you have housing that the free market puts up well free market's not going to build a house or apartments or anything else whether they're whether they're inexpensive apartments or really high-end condominiums they're not going to do anything if they can't afford to build it and make a little profit and pay all their expenses right so the more regulations there are like politicians can make if they don't want housing that's inexpensive housing they can make regulations so egregious so terrible that it actually would cost a, a, a contractor would lose money to build build the project out and in no one want, would want to own it because they can never pay off the debt uh, and and make a profit on and from the rents so this article's the title of it is more than one in five Sacramento millennials are living with mom. Isn't that, I, I just thought what I, I remember the day that my parents say they gave me an option. They gave me options when I was a senior in high school. It wasn't a negative thing. They said, Hey Lou, you could stay at home uh, and you could uh, earn money and you could put it towards college. And we'd like you to go to college because nobody in our family ever went to college. Uh, and we'll help you a little bit. You work, we'll work, and we'd, we'd like to help you go to college. Or you could, if you'd like to stay here, you're welcome here, and 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 work, just get a job, and we'd like you to pay room and board, right? Or uh, you could just move out and just, you know, and if you want to move out and go to college, we'll help you a little bit with college. Except there were options, right? But there was no option <clears throat> to just stay in, at home and not participate. Now, I find a lot of people, in fact, I just had, I've had people call me when I work for the Church of Glad Tidings, and it, or, the, or I run this trauma intervention program, and people call me sometimes, and, um, and they got problems with their son or daughter living at home, and they're 30 or 40 years of age. I, you know, I assume they're the youngsters, but these people, the person calling me might be 70 and they're trying to get them out of the house. So this, this article talks about 23% of Sacramentans between the ages of 22 and 37 are living with their mothers. Uh, and this comes from Zillow, the real estate database company. And, uh, and Sacramento's not alone in this trend. The article tells me, uh, the, the number of adults in the U S living, um, with mom has has skyrocketed. The share was 13% in 2005. It's now up to 21.9% in 2000, according to 2017. So so this is the this is the key. It's like oh, are they just lazy all millennials? No, I don't think they're lazy at all. I think uh, things are very different for them. But 
but the choices you have are you can get three or four people and move into an apartment together, share the rent. That's what we did when I went to college for a while. Five guys lived in a, we lived in a slum apartment down in Sacramento. And uh, it was very cheap. It was rough. We lived on, I think, the fourth or fifth floor of a tenement. And, uh, but five of us lived there. And it was very cheap, and, and we got by great. So in the Sacramento region, says a typical renter spends just under 32% of their entire income on rent. And, and uh, the median, that's not the average, but the median, that's like if you take all the rents and you take the one in the middle, <clears throat> the median monthly rent price is $1,915. Uh, so then it says when it comes to larger housing markets like L.A., Riverside, Miami, New York, they have the highest share of millennials living with their mothers. Well, the common denominator among those areas is the regulations on housing. When you think, well, what kind of regulations could there be? Well, building permit regulations, uh, environmental regulations and uh, all kinds of fees, school fees and and infrastructure fees and fees and fees and fees. And now there's pollution fees and, and it's crazy. Uh, my friends that are contractors in the Yuba Sutter counties of Northern California say, Lou, we would, we would never, uh, you can't make any money building. You can't like in Yuba County, the costs are like 20, 30, $40,000 just in fees and costs and permits to build a new house over here. It's just, if you start today, it's just ridiculous. So what happens is they just do different types of construction, right? So if you want, it's just like Walter Williams, the famous economist uh, at George Mason university says, if you want more of something, uh, you don't tax it, right? You, you remove the taxes off it and you, you remove the regulations, right? If you want less of something, you tax and regulate it, tax and regulate tax and, regulate, and you eliminate it. Or you, are you, so what's happening now is in the state of California, uh, we have, we have a huge, uh, shortage of housing. And then they, instead of changing the laws, what they want to do is create more laws and force, uh, cities and counties force them to build government low-income housing so uh we're at the uh the point of our first segment here where i want to take a little break and i'm gonna i don't really play commercials like you would hear news commercials i play clips that are educational i want to play a, a clip or two here and i'm going to take me a swig of liquid so i'll start back in a few minutes One second. Thank sure. you. Sorry. Uh huh. Hey. Hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job, it's sort of probably the most important job. 
the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh... I think that's a little intense. No, no not possible. That's crazy. Now this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skill. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is gonna go up, and we demand that. With, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep, or? Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. Completely for free. <laughs> no! What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, don't oh, wow. they? Oh my god. Moms are the best! Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's Alright, we're back. 
I just had a big old slug of ice water. I had a funny experience. I've this young family I've become acquainted with over the last seven months, and so the the oldest daughter, she made a big deal to me about water, and she tried to convince me that bottled water was somehow superior to water out of my tap in Marysville, which is well water. And in California, there are strong regulations that water has to be good, right? There's regulations on it. And somehow she thought, she's a millennial, she thought, and she tried to tell me that I should buy water in bottles, and somehow that was going to be better for me. I said, I like to taste it. She said, oh, we, so we did a taste test between water from Marysville, where I live, and the bot- and, and I couldn't tell the difference. So, um, but people spend fantastic amounts of mon- money to buy water that's enclosed in plastic. And I just buy water and ice it down. I love ice water. So, uh, thank God for water. Isn't it just amazing how the school system tells us that we came from monkeys, but how everything kind of just works together. A guy's got certain plumbing. This all by accident, according to the brilliant people that run the school systems. A guy's got certain plumbing. A gal's got certain plumbing. When they get together, they're able to produce a new human being. And then there's things, this liquid runs all over the earth called water, and it's like it like replenishes our, you know, we, we need water, right? We can't live without water. And there's just water water everywhere. There's Look at the globe, and it's almost all water. Just And then there's oxygen. There's just a little ribbon of oxygen that surrounds the earth. And if you, if you, like when I fly in an airplane, which I do quite a bit, I get in a jet, and they go up and they said, oh, if there's something happens in the jet, these little masks are going to pop down because we've now left the area of the earth where oxygen is everywhere. We're above that. Anyway whole deal so uh just it's just amazing how how we've all taken the stupid pill in college you pay thirty forty thousand dollars to go to college and they tell you you came from a monkey same way over at the high school and so but then they all these amazing coincidences happened where everything kind of just fits together like somebody of an extreme intelligence put this whole universe together how it works and you can actually count on it working a certain way like the the seasons of the year just seem to happen just exactly like they're supposed to so uh just think of that so i was talking about about uh housing and there's a tremendous shortage of housing now when liberals uh create a problem then they create another problem to fix that problem so they've they've destroyed the housing market in California because environmentalists and crazy people have been adding regulation after regulation. Now, what do those regulations go towards? Well, we have some of the highest salaries we pay our public servants uh, of the whole nation. Like like the head of like community services or what we used to call public works might make a quarter of a million dollars a year, right? $200,000 a year. Well, you got to pay all those bureaucrat salaries off all these reg- these permit fees and stuff. And and government always has more people hired than you need. Like uh Caltrans, the California Transportation Department, they did they the state did an audit a few years ago and like how efficiently are are we running? And they they concluded that we aren't running efficiently at all. And so they ended up concluding that there were 3,500 employees at Caltrans. 
that actually if they all drop dead tomorrow of Ebola, nobody even it wouldn't affect the job performance of the Caltrans at all. But instead of laying them off or quit hiring people uh, as people retired or quit, uh, they they didn't make any changes. In fact, they increased the hiring. And so what happens is the housing market, when you go to build a house, you buy a piece of property, then you got to have sewage hookups and you got to have electrical hookups and you got to just all these regulations and all these bureaucrats that are coming to oversee the work of your hands to put up this deal. It just costs money. And so what's happened is contractors cannot make any money building apartments or building condominiums or building uh, duplexes or whatever. So they just quit. They just quit building them. And so if the population went down, no problem. But the population is growing in California. It's not growing because of the middle class. They're bringing in the poor welfare recipients. So what Gavin Newsom, the new governor, said, he says he's going to force. It's interesting now, right? We're supposed to be living in a free country. But we have a government that the founding fathers wanted to have little influence over daily life of each city and county. We have a government that says, I am going to force you to go out and just create housing out of thin air. Or I'm going to withhold money that is due your local city and county. Now, that's that's totalitarianism. That's that's being ruled by a dictator, no matter whether he's not running the whole country or not. He's running California like he's a dictator. I'm not going to release this money. That money isn't even his. It's not his money. It's the people's money. But I'm not going to release that money. That money, in this case, was money to fix our roads, which wasn't even needed, but they taxed us anyway. I just got off the phone with a good friend of mine, and we were talking about everybody, you know, a majority of the people decided to stop the the uh, Proposition 6 at the November election, which was repeal the gas tax and DMV increases. And that is what Gavin Newsom came in and he said, I'm not going to give those tax increases for roads. I'm not going to give them to the counties unless you commit to build low-income housing. Well, government shouldn't be in the housing business anyway. That's the private industry. We're not like communists. We're not, we're not like China. We're not supposed to be. It doesn't work. And so, so anyway, that's, that's Gavin Newsom's approach. And uh, so I was talking to one of my friends over the, the uh, phone just, to, just before I started the show today. And we were talking how high the gas prices are. And we threw a fit. You remember when we threw a fit when George Bush uh, exited the presidency and Barack Obama came in? Gas prices were $1.86 a gallon, right? And when the gas prices were going nuts up, up under Obama, remember Stephen Chu, uh, the energy czar, you know, the, the energy department of the United States, which produces no energy. They just, it's just more regulations over everybody. They actually cause us to have less energy. Stephen Chu, who is supposed to be one of the brightest guys in the government, said that we needed to get the gas prices up to around $9 a gallon to force people to buy electric cars, which are ridiculously expensive. And so 
look at what gas prices are today in California. Now, that's not Trump's. That's not President Trump's problem. It was it was a fault of the Obama administration because they put a restriction on oil exploration in the United States. They didn't want anybody to drill any more oil, even though we got all these fossil fuel cars running around. But it's not Trump's fault that California has these high uh, energy costs. It's the government. It's the legislature. It's four or five decades of liberal policies that has shut down the uh, production of fossil fuels. They, we're not building any more refineries. We can't drill any more oil. They don't want any more pipelines. They don't want the oil trained in, trucked in, piped in. It's just they just cause a big problem wherever. So whenever a, a refinery goes offline for maintenance or there's a, a breakdown in equipment or fire at a refinery, uh, it costs uh, it costs m- more for our fuel in California. So you say, well, what, can't we truck fuel from Nevada or some other part of the United States? We can't. Because right now, we I think now we're under a special California blend of fuel, or maybe that starts next month in June, where there's, we have a unique blend of fuel that supposedly cuts down on air pollution. We're the only state in the union that uses it. So therefore, we can't use any fuel from other states. So when you look at all these, uh, these extreme costs, it's all been done by people that are trying to rule over us. Now, that's contrary to what the founding fathers declared. They did not want a legislature uh, legislature to dictate the everyday uh, activities of our lives. But now we have a legislature that tells us we can't use a plastic straw. We can't have a certain drink if we want one that has a high sugar content. We can't have certain foods that has a high <clears throat> saturated fat content. We can't. We can't do this and we can't do that. They they rule over us. In fact, it wasn't long ago, although it, it seems like they're not enforcing it recently. Yuba County declared that kids or adults like a lot of kids would would have car washes to raise money for their their sports team or for their cheerleading group or for a trip to Washington, D.C. They'd go out and wash cars all day and people would donate to them. So they said you can't have a. I can't have a car wash. They didn't make it illegal for me to wash my car on my curb or my driveway. But if I drove over to the local uh, lot at a near a store or something where kids had a hose and buckets of soap, <clears throat> we, I couldn't pay them to wash my car, even though it's the same car, the same amount of water and the same soap. And it's all going to run into the drain anyway. I couldn't join a bunch of other cars at the corner to have my car wash and give the money to the group to go to Washington, D.C. for a historical trip. But I could we all could go home and wash our car. Just stupid, bureaucratic, communist uh, oversight from people that are just taking orders, just taking orders. Well, I have to do it. It's, it's amazing. Nobody wants to, like, sit down and say, this is stupid. And this is a uh, usurping of our rights. Instead, they just say, well, that's the law. Well, that's a regulation. Well, that's what they said to do, right? You ever wonder why people live under communism? Because they just actually get used to it. I have a friend that uh, I worked with in Vietnam. 
I go back there every once in a while, uh, a couple times a year to work on projects there that I can't really get, get into on, on the radio I'll tell you about, but every, I'll be, I'll be communicating with them on Viber. Uh, it's an international communication app that, uh, doesn't cost you anything. And so he'll say, Hey, the, the police just came by. And so you think, well, maybe he did something wrong. In America, that means maybe he did something wrong or they're investigating a crime on the street or something. It has nothing to do with that. They just say, hey, you got too many. Who are these people living in your house, your building here? You can't. Who are those people? What are they here for? You can't have those people living here. Or they'll they'll tell people in the villages, if we're moving people from the villages into Saigon to do a project, they'll say, they'll tell the people in the village, you can't go to, what are you going to Saigon? You, you know, it'd be like if you're getting ready to, to drive out of Marysville and drive to Sacramento. And at, at the, at the line, they stopped you, the police. And they said, where are you going? I'm going to Sacramento. Why? Why are you going to Sacramento? What are you going to do down there? Uh, and you tell them, Oh, I want to go down and shop or I want to go to a move. You can't go down there. We don't want you just go back to your home, right? You're not going anywhere. That's exactly what happens in Vietnam. It's a communist country. So all you young socialists out there, that's, that's communist. That's socialism. Where in the village they have law enforcement, and they when they see people packing up to head out somewhere, they say, "Where are you going? What's your point? What are you doing?" They don't want you in Saigon. They don't want you in Hanoi. What are you doing in the big city? You're a village. You're a fisherman. You're a farmer. It's like you got no business in 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 a big city. That's how it is. Your life is controlled. So um, so that's how it is in these regulations. Now they don't come straight at you with a, uh, taking away your freedoms, but they create rules layer after layer after layer permit oh you got to get a permit you have a dog oh you have to have a permit to have a dog oh you want to paint your you want to paint your house well you have to go to the city to get a permission to paint your we got to see the color you want to paint it you can't just paint your house any color in this city you got to come and submit your color to the government before we'll we'll allow you to to do that uh, over and over and over, just one thing after another, you have to go get a permit and pay a fee. And that's how they control you. That's how they control you. Now, one of the beautiful things that's happened, the beautiful things that's happened in under President Trump. Uh, and, and, you know, it's amazing. I, I'm, I've never seen anything like this in my life where there is this. There is this bitter. Uh, sustained hatred towards Trump. And I realized the other day, thinking about it, I thought, you know, it's really Trump represents a way of life that they hate. The deep state, the socialist state hates it because they want to control everything about our lives. They want to tell you, you, you have to send your school, your kids to this school over here. You can't send them to that school over there. You can't, you can't have school choice. You have to pay your tax dollars for that school over there. And if you withdraw your kids, they, just a few years ago, they would they would come after you uh, and call, call you a lawbreaker. Now, you, if you pay for private education, then you're paying twice. You're paying for a private school and and uh, you're paying for the public school. And so the government wants to tell you, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. 
uh, you can't work extra hours. You know, you, you just kind of work these many hours. And, and then, oh, you ha- as an employer, you have to pay the person. They tell you you've invested in a, in a, in a company. You've built a company from scratch, and the government tells you you have to pay everybody at least this amount of wage. And then if they work over eight hours, you have to increase their pay this much, or you have to do this, or you have to do that, and you have to do this. And uh, the the beauty of Trump is that he's eliminating regulations, right? And and the government hates that because the the bureaucrats, the deep state, which isn't deep that any longer, it's just an in-your-face state— they want to control and manage everything you do. Oh, you can't you can't water any day you want your lawn. You have to water on that day or that day, right? Um, so, Trump represents freedom, and the government hates freedom. They hate it. They they don't think that you're smart enough to make right decisions over your life or over your child's life, right? Your life or your child's life? They said, you don't, we don't like the way you're raising your kid. Uh, we're going we're gonna to educate your kid the way we want to educate your kid, whether you like it or not. You can't pull your kids out of school and, and, or out of that class because we're going to teach them what we want. And I'll talk about the new regulations on sex ed here later in the show. Uh, but uh, anyway, they, they just hate Trump. But uh, oh, let, let me just... I'm going to come back to this. I was going to talk about the incredible, amazing, well, let me, I'll just finish this and then I'll go. I was going to talk about, I'll go back to the high regulations and taxing people into servanthood. But let me just tell you, I am thrilled uh, about employment. I love employment. I I come from a, a family of hard workers. Everybody worked hard. There were no whiners in my family. Nobody complained about doing housework or or painting the fence. They they said, "Hey, Lou, you need to wash the windows this weekend. Hey, paint the fence. We're going to do this. You're going to do that. You take over the yard now. You're old enough to take over the yard." We just did it, and we liked it. It, it was like good. It was a good deal. So everybody worked. I went to work uh, as a youngster and really enjoyed work. My dad worked hard. And so recently there's this young family that I've taken a liking to that I've been helping. And they have a young boy who's going to a charter school. And he's a sophomore in high school. And he's almost 16. And he got a work permit. And so he only has to be in, in school in a classroom one day a week. So I got him a job working farm labor. And I just felt like I was living my life all over again. Cause I, I so much love, I loved farm labor. I loved working, uh, I, uh, raising, it was a fruit operation, raising fruit and tractors and irrigation and, and learning how to maintain a tractor, drive tractor, load trucks, the whole process of, of the food, the whole food chain process. I loved, I loved working, uh, with in the dirt. I love working in the dirt. And, um, so I got this boy this job. I called this this guy said, "Hey Lou, I need some workers." So I said, "You want this youngster? He's a good kid." And uh to see the glow on this young guy's face uh when I told him, "Hey, I got you a full-time job, dude, and uh you just got to work hard and and uh you're going to be making a lot of money." And a lot of money today is like I don't even know what the minimum wage is in California. Is it, I don't know, $10 an hour now? I don't know, something. It keeps going up. But uh, anyway, he's he's going to make about $500 a week as a 15, almost 16-year-old. Pretty good, huh? And his family is uh, struggling, trying to get on their feet. But So he's just contributing. He's going to put part of his money aside, and part of the money goes into uh, 
uh, some savings for his, uh, he wants to go into the Coast Guard and stuff like that. But here's what I want to get to. It's not just about the money. Going to work changes a person, and it, it makes them independent. And it gives them a vision for their life. It gives them a vision what they don't want to do and vision what they want to do. And, and, and he's finishing his first week at this job. And one of the things he told his mother was he said, Mom, there are people that have worked there, worked in farm labor, and, and they're, they're your age. They're, they're adult, adult. They're mothers and their fathers and their grandmothers and grandfathers. They worked in that all their life. He said, but he said, you know, and he was talking about how he had a vision to have a better life than farm work. Nothing wrong with farm work. He just wanted to be, a, he wanted to go into, right now he wants to go in the Coast Guard. And so it was so fascinating. But when he came, when he came home from work the very first day, he came to my house and knocked on my door and he thanked me for giving him the opportunity to go to work. And it it just opened a door of opportunity to him. And so that's why when I've seen times in the United States over my uh, years, uh, many years of living in the United States, it's it's been sad to me that people that God created to do great things just sat around all day. It's just like so frustrating, right? So frustrating and that they can't do what they want to do with their life. And, and they're, they're restricted by government handouts and, uh, and they can't take their kids and do the things they want to do or have the dreams they want to have. So to see the tremendous in just what a little over two years, three years with Trump's presidency, just by the policies that they've enacted, the employment rate has gone to historic lows. And that means what it isn't just statistics. It's real people like my little friend going to work and going to and making money so he can go out and buy what he wants. And so the unemployment rate for women in the United States fell to 3.4%. Now, that wouldn't include every woman. It's those women in the United States that are employable and want a job. Like, if people are retired, it doesn't include them. But it's of all the employable people that want a job, only 3.4% of them can't get a job. It's the lowest rate since 19. 53. Is that amazing? It's just so cool. The cool thing is, in, in fact, it goes on here and says Ivanka Trump, uh, Don Trump, the president's daughter, who's who's kind of in the face of this, uh, let's improve people's wherewithal in the workforce, right? And women. And she cited a, uh, a little different statistic. She said unemployment for women over 20 years fell to 3.1%. Anyway, I don't think people are so, so uh, captured by all the statistics. So I'm not going to dwell on that except to give you enough of a flavor of these are real people that if they want to go work and put money in their own pocket and, and it's just the opposite of totalitarian communist socialism. I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you, you can't work over there. You got to go work over there. No, you can't do that. No, you can't. You can't take an early morning job. You have to take a night job because we need night workers. So uh, Hispanic unemployment fell to the lowest level ever, ever in the history of the United States in April. Uh, 
and overall unemployment in the United States at the lowest level since December of 1969. There's just article after article. I'm telling you, the news media, this is amazing that there's so much news about this because the news media hates this. In fact, Cory Booker, who wants to run for president, he's a senator from New Jersey. He actually says, I mean, these people are saying things that are total fabrication and lies. Cory Booker says that the instead of giving Trump any credit, they're not going to give him any credit for anything. He says a recovery began under Obama, like he set into place all the policies is totally a, a, a huge lie. So I'm not going to go into all the details on all these labor statistics because I have a lot of interesting things to talk about today. And uh, but it's it's just one thing after another. the lowest unemployment in 19 years for workers that don't have a bachelor's degree from college. By the way, you know, I, I am not anti-education, but a lot of people are wasting their time and money to get a go get a bachelor's degree. I mean, if you want to be a nurse, a doctor, an engineer, uh, you want to be going to the teaching pr- profession, you're going to have to get the degrees, the certificates, et cetera, et cetera. There are certain jobs in, in that in careers. You've got to get those right. And you just find the best college you can that, that doesn't teach a lot of baloney. But I'm telling you, if you're a young person, you know, the thing that's caused so many kids to leave the school system, drop out is a school system so incredibly boring uh, and it's a 1950s-style school system trying to teach kids that are high-tech kids in, in 2018. It's crazy, or 2019. So kids are leaving school. They're bored to tears. But instead of how, how many decades are we going to cause kids to suffer in a, a horrible school system instead of getting them into trade schools and learn how to weld, learn how to build houses, uh, learn how to drive heavy equipment, learn how to pour concrete, learn how to do a trade, get into the plumbing industry, where they're going to make a huge income. They're going to make a very, very good income and stay fully employed. Uh, I, in fact, I met a kid that I used to see in Juvenile Hall. He, he's a welder now. And uh, he said, Lou, I have a great life. And he, he said, I, I changed my life. And he, he said, I make a lot of money. I have friends that used to be in trouble, young youngsters when I met them. Now they work in the oil fields. They service oil rigs. They do all kinds of technical work because they got into a trade and, and they just wasted their time. Uh, you know, certainly we need to learn how to read and write and uh, need to do math. But all this other baloney that's going on in the school system is an absolute waste of time. And there's other ways you can learn it. You can learn it. There's so many... I I, uh, I was thinking the other day, I remember the day when if you needed to look something up, you had a thing, a series of books on the shelf called encyclopedias, and there was no computers. And if you wanted, if you couldn't find it in the encyclopedia, then you went to the library and you had to go through a card system to look up books on the subject you want and had to dig through books instead of right now we just google a phrase or a, a term and just boom hundreds of articles come up about it I, there's never been a time where education is more at your fingertips than now 
and uh, it's just so good. And so uh, I am thrilled about the the employment, and uh, I I was hearing how the the one area that is wonderful is there's more and more jobs opening up for young people. Listen, if we could, I'm going to talk about minimum wage, hopefully before the day's over here. But if we could eliminate the minimum wage, I think we could achieve nearly 100% employment among our youth, which honestly, kids get pissed off and go use drugs and go do stupid stuff because we have actually eliminated the ability to go out and self-direct and and self-determine their future by eliminating jobs from them because we put the cost so high to employers that they elect, like, for instance, I, I, I saw McDonald's, they, the other, McDonald's the other day, they got kiosks right now. They've eliminated all these jobs that, uh, do you realize that the government is not the big employment trainer in the world? Do you know that? I think Walmart is the top employment, uh, uh labor, uh, education group in the world. Businesses are the place where people need to be trained to work and starter jobs, just like my friend who's working farm labor. He like I tell him, I said, hey, it's a great job. You're going to be pulling more money you can dream about. And they're going to teach you how to work and skills you'll take to the Coast Guard with you that other other guys will not have because you know what real work's all about. You'll know what you what you know, how hard it is to make a dollar and you'll know the worth of a dollar. And so. uh so this whole employment thing is phenomenal and the reduction, the reduction in regulations that the uh, Trump administration has been fervent at accomplishing is actually taking pressure off business and give an encouraging business to expand instead of just saying, you know, this is worthless. All, all I want to do is get through, get to my retirement and quit because I don't want to fight. I'm tired of fighting government, Right. Tired of fighting government. Well, I'm going to take a break here. We're going to play uh, a couple clips here on immigrants. uh, And it's all about, there's a clip here about immigrants. Don't vote for what what you fled from. Okay? Okay, we'll be right back. I'm going to take a couple swig of ice cold water. And I'm going to refresh myself and be back for a third segment. Be right back. Guatemala and I work throughout Latin America. And I want to speak to the millions of fortunate Hispanic immigrants living in the United States, legally or not. I have a question for you. Why do you support the same policies in the U.S. that cause you to flee your home country? The policies I'm talking about are those that lead to a bigger and bigger central government. You know only too well that the more power the government has, the more corrupt it becomes. My home country, like most other nations in Central and South America, is very poor. 54% of the population lives in poverty, and 13% live in extreme poverty. Half of all children under five are chronically malnourished. Crippling government corruption is the norm. 
Opening a new business can take months, even years, because of a multitude of regulations that are designed to line the pockets of bureaucrats. So the cost is much too high for the average citizen. Quite simply, unless you're politically connected in Guatemala, you probably want to leave. And in the last 20 years, many Guatemalans have left. Or to put it more honestly, they fled. The fortunate ones reached the United States, the freest and wealthiest nation in human history. There are at least one million Guatemalans living in the U.S. Nearly every Mexican and Central and South American immigrant in the United States, whether they immigrated legally or illegally, moved or fled to the U.S. for the same reasons, economic opportunity and the freedom to shape their own lives. In short, you came to the United States to participate in what Americans call the American dream. But have you ever asked yourself, why is the United States so free, so much less corrupt, and so much more affluent than any Latin American country? The answer lies first and foremost in the unique American belief in limited government. Why? Because the smaller the government, the less the corruption. And the smaller the government, the more individual freedom and personal responsibility. And given those things, along with hard work and talent, you can accomplish your life's goals. So back to my question, why would you support policies that keep expanding the power of the government when they are the very policies that doom your home countries? Is it because you think that when Democrats offer you free stuff, it means they really care about you? Do you think that when Republicans talk about enforcing immigration laws, it means they are going to send you back? Let's be honest. You didn't come here for free stuff. You came for the economic opportunity that allows you to work and earn. And of course, a nation has an obligation to enforce its borders. Certainly, every country in Central and South America does. In fact, much more so than the US. Perhaps you believe that your home country is poor not because of failed socialism and corrupt big government, but because of issues unrelated to ideology. Not enough natural resources, imperialism, and so on. Or worse, you believe that the U.S. has gotten rich on the backs of poor nations. But these narratives are false. There are many nations blessed with abundant natural resources that are poor. And they are poor overwhelmingly because of corrupt governments and policies that destroy incentives to produce. Look at Venezuela, which has vast oil and mineral reserves, but has shortages of every basic necessity. Why? Because of socialist policies, because of those same deceiving politicians who promise to fight for the people and give you free stuff. And you're going to fall for these lies again in your adopted country? Do you think by electing politicians who will fight for the people, fight for social justice, and raise taxes on the 1% who are exploiting the wealth of the 99% that you will get ahead? In other words, will you support the same policies and vote for the same types of politicians here who made such a mess back home? The United States became wealthy because its government stayed out of the way of its citizens. The more power you give to the government, the less power you have to control your own life. Prosperity and opportunity diminish as government grows. So why did you, like so many of my fellow Guatemalans, come to the U.S.? 
because your society was broken. You chose to make a new life in the United States. You could have gone to another Latin American country with a similar culture and the same language as your home country, but you didn't because the United States is different. Please help keep it that way. I'm Gloria Alvarez, author of The Populist Deception for Prager University. If I were like lightning, I wouldn't need no sneakers. Well, I'd come and go whenever I would please. And I'd scare them by the shade tree and scare them by the light pole, but would not scare my poor. All right. So let me make a few more comments about the job situation uh, because I just want to celebrate this because we may never. I don't know whether we're going to get Trump as a second term or not. I hope we do. But we may never, I know never in my lifetime am I going to see this kind of wonderful blessing for people. Uh, you know, uh, as I was reflecting upon my friend in Vietnam, as I told you, the police came and said, hey, we've been by your building. And we, we do a project over there uh, in Vietnam that that. Uh, it, it's not revolutionary. I mean, we're not trying to overthrow the government, but we're, we're trying to do things that are uh, helping the underground church. And so the police said, you have people in your living in your building here. We have a three-story building. They can't live. They can't. Uh, the, you've got too many people living here. And uh, it, it's not crowded. It's just they want control. And so we're having to go rent an apartment now and cost us more money and move people from one place to another. And it's a huge building. They just don't like what's going on there. And so what it is, is the government wanting to control things, not wanting to, but doing that in the government, in this government, until we got to Trump, it was becoming more and more. Uh, well, they'll control everything, how you use your water, how you use your electricity. Just like right now, we're talking about PG&E shutting off the electricity if the wind blows. It's just crazy. It's, it's like a third world nation it's becoming. So anyway... What happens when people are giving freedom to choose, freedom to go get a job, freedom to get a job? If you keep raising the minimum wage, it eliminates the freedom to get a job because they can't. The jobs won't be available. If you allow people to pay people whatever they want, you think, oh, my God, if people could pay a person whatever they want, they may only pay them 50 cents an hour. No, they wouldn't because nobody would work for 50 cents an hour. And if he's a real good worker, like my friend, my 15 year old friend. If he's a good worker, somebody will hire him away from this other guy. If they want him bad enough, they'll pay him more money. That's the way the free market works. People are just stupid out there. So I, what I've always told people is I says, as soon as you get a job, you'll find another job. The people that find a hard time getting a job are people that aren't working at all. But if you have a job, it's always easier to find a second job because they know the next employer knows, hey, he's already working over there. He must be making them happy. So, you know, it, it shows you're a good, good worker. So this is a cool thing. These, these statistics, I'll give you these cause it's, it's totally cool. Professional and business services jobs. This, in this sector, there were 76,000 new positions created. Now, you know that government cannot create a job. Obama tried that. Some of the jobs where he just gave money away to business 
He'd give a quarter of a million dollars to create one job. Go back and research it. I'm not making stuff up. Business, it doesn't cost the taxpayer a nickel for business to expand. Do you understand that? Professional and business services-led job creation was 76,000 new positions. Construction added 33,000. Uh, Health care added 27,000 new jobs. <clears throat> In just uh, last month, not, not since Trump came into being, uh, the financial industry added 12,000 jobs. So let me give you the 12-month total. This is just the last year. Finance industry went up 111,000 jobs. Healthcare went up 404,000 jobs. <clears throat> Construction went up 256,000 new jobs. Those are good paying. These are good paying jobs. These are these are careers. They're just not temporary jobs. Uh, social assistance work increased by 26,000 jobs. Manufacturing added 4,000 jobs. That's huge. That's producing something. It's not being a bureaucrat that doesn't produce anything. The retail, uh, the retail area was the one area that lost jobs, and that's 12,000 jobs were reduced. So very, very good news. Now, I, before I go on and talk about North Korea, I want to jump down and... I want to talk about Yuba County because California, when uh, at the end of uh, at the end of Obama's first term in office, and we were there was going to be a contest of a second term. There was a talk show host in San Diego, and it says if you want to see what Obama's second term will look like, you just look at California because it's a socialist state, <clears throat> and so. <clears throat> If you want to look at what what a terrible government, you can look at Yuba County and and we're just overtaxed. So uh, the other I don't know all you some of you people don't own any property. You don't understand this because you see, haven't seen a tax bill that has all these taxes listed on it. But if you look at a Yuba County tax bill. You have basic property taxes, which are the taxes for your real estate that your house is on, your your dirt, plus all your improvements, right? And uh, then on top of that, you have these taxes. You have school bond A, school bond B, school bond C, school bond D. Then uh, in this is out in the Plumas Lake area. This is off a tax uh, bill from Plumas Lake. Then you have... A uh, another a Wheatland school, the first. Then you have a Wheatland school district bond called a Go Refunding Bond, number six. Number seven, another Go Refunding Bond series B. Then you have a levy uh, fund cost. Then you have a Oliver's Public Utility District uh, cost. Then you have a rec rec uh, reclamation district cost. Uh, they have like 12 additional taxes from utility districts, reclamation districts, levy districts, school districts. Now we have a measure K that is being fought out in court, but is now being assessed at 1% on top of all your other sales taxes. 
Now they're proposing a new levy and flood uh, a fee that I'll talk about just in a second. There's going to be a new middle school bond coming up and a high school bond for down there in, in South Yuba County. That's 16 additions <clears throat> to the basic property taxes. Now, you, at what point do you say, hey, this is ridiculous? So this person writes me of my tax bill. The property taxes were 67% of my total tax bill. And then then they say items 2 through 12 are now 33% of my total tax bill. All additional taxes that they just keep adding on, adding on, adding on. <clears throat> so now uh, they're talking, they just got a notice in the mail out in South, uh, South Yuba County about Reclamation District 784. Now let me see if I can pull this up. And uh, so... Reclamation District 784, and they want to increase their fees. And the folks don't get to vote on it. Uh, it isn't like an open election. But if but if enough people protest, you have to you have to actually f form a protest. If enough people protest, then it the uh, the uh, proposed fee would would be rejected. It's kind of an odd thing. It's not like, do you want it or not? But people act to act, have to actually organize a protest. So it's a proposed annual property assessment that would replace existing assessments for flood protection. Now, the supervisor out in that area that has never met a tax he didn't love. And uh, he says... You know, the latest thing has been from these local supervisors here in Yuba County is everything. It's just a few cents. It's just a few dollars. It's just a few pennies. So actually, there are some people that are smarter than your average resident and supervisor out there in that Plumas Lake area. And uh, so they've been crunching the numbers on this and this new reclamation district fee or assessment would be an over 50% increase from what it is right now, an over 50% increase. So the question is, you know, at what point, at what point are you going to say, uh, we pay too much? We just pay too much. And are you willing, are you willing to do anything about it? Are you willing to organize and do anything about it? So, uh, I'm just looking here, but so this one guy writes, I want, I'm not going to get into the detail. I'm just going to tell you that this supervisor is just keeps arguing. It's kind of like when they did the major K tax increase, they said, Oh, it's just one penny on the dollar. It's one penny on the dollar. Sounds like, like, Hey, why are we arguing over this? Right? 1% additional sales tax. But, Here's here's one penny on the dollar for you, right? If you go out and buy a new car under Measure K, which right now everybody in Yuba County is stuck with this, right? Wherever you buy a car, you'll be taxed according to the tax 
where you live, which is Yuba County. So that extra 1%, say you go out, I, I haven't bought a new car in years. I haven't ever bought a new car, but I haven't bought another car for 10 years or 15 years, I think. So anyway, if you, if you buy a $30,000 car, that extra 1%, because you happen to live in Yuba County, not across the river in Sutter, you will pay an extra $300 for a $30,000 car, an extra, right, on top of everything else. If you buy a $40,000, $400. So just say, oh, we don't buy that expensive of cars. But say you're five people in your family. You've got a husband and wife. Maybe you both have a car. Then you buy a couple teenage cars, right, Teen cars for teenagers. You end up over the next 10 years during the life of this tax, uh, you, you, you pay it. Say you, you end up buying a hundred thousand dollars in cars over 10 years, right? That's an extra grand, right? And so it's a lot of money. So they keep using these terms. Uh, they twist things and say, well, it's, it's not very, it's not very much money. Uh, if you'll just, if, if you'll just uh, look at it that way. But the fact is, you get taxed on a lot, don't you? Like if you go down and buy some items for your yard or you do a remodel or anything like that. I'm trying to find this reclamation, this other clip, this other. Uh, oh, here it is right here. So uh, this reclamation district, these guys, what a reclamation district does is they they form this district and then they form a district so they can assess the property owners in the district so they can get money to manage the, uh, the, the manage the water runoff, right? So that's what they're saying is we need, we need more money. We don't have enough money. So, um, says there's a 4%, this is, you know, th these are all sales deals. There's a 4% chance that your home will have a fire during a 30 year life of the mortgage, but there's a 26% chance that it will flood. So then the idea is, oh, well, you know, you should, you should give us more money to, to raise the odds that uh, that you that you you're not going to have a flood. So uh, anyway, I, I won't go into all the details on this. If you live in Yuba County, you should have got a flyer in the mail. Some people did, and I, some people say they aren't getting one. I don't think I got one in the city of Marysville where I live. So maybe this is just affecting those people out in the county. But I'm telling you, at what point? Uh, it's just like. It's almost every month now you're seeing bureaucrats say, we're out of money. Uh, I know we're, we're, you're paying this tax, that tax, and the other tax, but we're out of money, and we just want another penny. We want another dollar. We want, we want this. We want that. We want this. We're now going to charge a new fee. We're going to up all our fees for you to do this, that, and the other thing. What happens eventually is people change their buying habits or, for instance, uh, built when building inspection fees get ridiculous. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I worked at glad tidings for many years. And so they asked me, they said, Lou, we want to change the use of this building. It's a 6,000 square foot modular. We want to change it from, uh, from a, a daycare, which we closed preschool. We want to, we want to house some people out here and it didn't affect any neighbors. We only have one neighbor that that is within like 150 yards of us or something, hundred yards, no other neighbors. We are surrounded by highways and, f and farms. And so I went and talked to planning commission. This is back in 2007, 12 years ago, very nice guy, planning commissioner, 
worker at the planning commission. And I said, how much? And so they said, well, you'll have to come in and fill out all these documents and apply for a plan development amendment because we're on 35 acres, right? Again, we have no impact. We've done every study. The only study we haven't done is whether we'll get hit by extraterrestrial beings, but smoke studies, dust studies, traffic studies, percolation studies, sewage studies, water studies, had to, just to have our property and to develop it. So he, he said, you'll have to do a plan development amendment. Da, da, da. It's going to cost you, take six months, $6,000, and you may, we can't guarantee you a yes. Just, the building's already there. All we're going to do is change some of the walls and have, like, there were people in it before, and we, we're not going to house donkeys in it or have sex with a donkey in it. All we're going to take, we're going to have people living in it versus people being in there most of the day anyway, and about 18 hours a day. Now we're going to have people in there 24 hours a day, in, in and out, in and out. For that $6,000 and six months of process. Here's what people do in that are normal, healthy people. They just say, screw you. And they just go and they, they built, they put in the new window in their house on their own. They'd rewire their house on their own. They repaint their house and don't ask permission on the color on their own. They re-roof their house on their own. And, and they just, because of the bureaucracy, when I used to farm, I hated the government always coming out and inspecting everything I was doing when I was spraying chemicals or whatever, spraying weeds, and or when I had to burn brush, right? You have to get a permit to light a fire, right? So you, so you have a permit that's year-round permit. You have to pay for this permit to have it for a year. Then you have to call in and see whether it's a burn day. The government's going to pr- give you permission to burn. Then you... Then you get permission. And so what I would do is I was always do my burning and my spraying on when the government people were home on an off day. Why? Because I don't want them looking over my shoulder. So I just did what I want. What This is what you do when you're oppressed by the government. And and they did you know they have people that drive around? The government does drive around to where you're harvesting to see if you have enough toilets and you have enough toilet paper out of out where they're they're picking peaches or something and they want to check whether you have water available and you have shade available and you have plenty of paper cups right so if paper cups ran out at one o'clock somebody stole your paper cups like what happens a lot is farm workers will steal all the toilet paper because they take it, they think, oh, well, we'll just take this toilet paper. They, they're not going to miss it. But if, they, if the government inspector shows up and the toilet paper is gone out of the porta potty, they'll fine you. Do you know that? Or, or, if the far, or if the workers have moved just past the limit that the distance from the porta potty to where they're harvesting, if they move and they haven't moved the porta potty to with the workers, if they're just 10 feet outside that limit, they fine you. Do you know that? This is all government baloney. Uh, And so what happens is people become lawless because the laws, one day you're a good citizen. Then they create a new law and now you're in violation. So now you're a lawbreaker. You're a criminal, right? So all these socialists do is they create laws to create lawbreakers like my friend in Vietnam. One day 
he's obeying things. The next day, he's a lawbreaker. There's no law about it. Just the cop doesn't like it that way. And that's just the way it is. Now, I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example of uh, socialism. And again, you know, here's the deal. Socialists in the United States and communists, wherever you point out examples of of where socialism just simply doesn't work, they, they always say this. It just they just didn't do it right. It, they just they fumbled the deal. Now, if you remember, if you're very old, if you're in your 60s or older, you'll remember the days when China had famine. Millions of people would die. And the United States would send container load and shipload of rice to, to China and Russia. Countries that were threatened to bomb us, we would actually send. Do you know that China and Russia and none of these communist or socialist countries has ever contributed one nickel to this country, never sent a bag of anything to this country to help us except fentanyl or some kind of drug to kill us, right? But we have sent mega ships with the hole full of rice and wheat to these countries just because we're nice people and we're humanitarian and we're Christian-like, Right? Even, you know, Jesus said, which is a very hard for, thing for me to do. He says, be kind to your enemies. Love your enemies. I said, that is very hard to do. Did you notice that? Well, the United States has practiced that my whole life. But I always, I, w- I would as a teenager read these. I read the newspaper every single day. <clears throat> and I would read that the five-year agricultural plan of uh, Russia was just started or they just finished a five-year plan and they never did meet their objectives and they always would never make enough wheat. So here's, here's a stupid thing about communism. They would take a guy that had no skill at all and tell him that he's going to work on the farm. He had no skill in the, he hated farming. Maybe he should have been a janitor, but they sent him out to the farm and work. People wouldn't produce. You know, people always work harder when they're working for their own benefit than working for the government. Did you know that? Have you ever found any? I have a few friends that are amazing government workers, but a lot of government workers are horrible workers, right? Because they know at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference how hard you work. You get the same pay and you can't fire them, right? So in communism, my friend Tui Nguyen up in Hanoi used to tell me, Lou, after communism took over in 1975 in Vietnam, people pretended to work and the government pretended to pay them. And that's how that's how communism, socialism works. Now, a lot of people in universities in the United States, they don't know crap about socialism because they've never lived under it and they don't want to live under it. None of these professors have ever lived under socialism. Why wouldn't they? Why don't they move there now? If they love Cuba so much, if they love Vietnam so much, if they love North Korea so much, if they love China so much, why don't they move there? Because they don't have any freedom there, and they don't get paid two hundred grand for hardly doing anything. So, <clears throat> so here, so people would die of starvation, and you know, my little friend, I just got this full time job. He was talking to me. He's a youngster. He's just learning, and he said, "Lou, you know." He was talking about big business and all this, and he said, it's causing people to starve. I said, people don't starve because of capitalism big business. People starve, or people, it's not climate change or global warming. People starve because of politics. And so, uh, so that's what happened in China. That's what's happening in, in Cuba. 
That's what any you look wherever you want to look. Take I'm not cherry picking the countries. So this this article says North Korea faces food crisis after the poor after a poor harvest. The poor harvest isn't the issue. Nobody can raise their own food for themselves. It's all for the government. Then they ration it out. Then they give it back to you like like a food stamps. You have to give all your profits to the government. Then they give you back what you they think you deserve. So it says four in 10 North Koreans are chronically short of food and further cuts to already minimum rations. You see what I'm saying? In this socialist country, move to Venezuela. Take a six-month sabbatical from your job and go live in Venezuela. See how it's working for you. They get rations in North Korea. Look at some of those... Uh, uh, satellite shots of the of Korea, north and south. The south is all lit up at night. The north is dark. They got to shut the power off. That's how PG&E's wanting to do it here in Northern California. So, uh, so they're talking about in this article. It's a very left wing article. Oh, it's a worst harvest in a decade. Listen, we have bad harvests in the United States. Anybody starving over it? No way. Why? Because there's self-determination and there's freedom here and people, you're still earning a lot of money and they're bringing in food from all over the place. Official rations, they say, are down 300 grams or under to uh, 300 grams. They get 11 ounces per person of food a day. It's unbelievable. And people are stupid enough to buy this socialism crap. It The U.N., the UN, who was totally socialist and communist, so this is already bi- biased, and Reuters is the article, totally biased, said 10.1 million people were suffering from severe food insecurity. That means they did. it wasn't that they didn't have enough money to get a Twinkie and a cup of coffee. They don't have enough food till the next harvest comes around. Population of North Korea, 25.2 million. Listen, go get on Google, go to one of your big book book outlets like Amazon or whatever, and go read some books on uh, people, refugees from North Korea that have written what it's like. And it will scare the hell out of you. Most Americans would have died in the first month over there. It said the country suffered a famine in the mid 1990s believed to have killed as many three as three million people in North Korea, 1990s, three million people died. People, those are real people. When I meet people in Vietnam, most all of them have had relatives who died in the war. When I went to Asia, or went, uh, sorry, when I went to Uganda, most all had had a, a person killed by the dictator Idi Amin, and most all had a person who died of AIDS. It is gnarly out there, people. You just haven't got out as much. So this stupid spokesman for the United Nations blamed a combination of dry spells, heat waves, and flooding for the new crisis. Thankfully, President Trump's State Department simply said it's all the government's fault. I'm telling you, people, government has not added anything but sorrow to our lives. I'll say that again, even in the United States. The United States government has not added one thing to your life except sorrow and a lack of freedom. That's just the way it is. Are there any aspects of it that we really need? We need the military. 
and we need law enforcement, right? The rest of it is crap. The education system's terrible. The welfare system's terrible. The energy system's terrible. The energy uh, department renders us with less energy, more costly energy. The Environmental Protection Bureau is making the environment worse, not better. On and on and on it goes. North Korea, Venezuela, Vietnam, Laos. You want to see a rough country, go to Laos. Just come on. Just put your money where your mouth is. Go buy a ticket and go check it out and go just go over there and find out for yourself how people live. Get out of the city. Don't hang around the city. Go to the villages and find out how people are really living. And uh, and you'll realize what's going on. Listen, like I told my friend, the only reason, you know, these countries have tremendous natural resources. Vietnam. Venezuela. China. Russia. They have tremendous minerals, gold. Uh, oil. They have tremendous uh, growing regions. What do you think the United States is is perfect in everything? We have we have great natural resources. Where we're struggling is where the government has meddled and taken away our freedom to go get the natural resources. You know, the best conservators of our lands were the farmers and ranchers of America over the open lands that now the Bureau of Land Management manages. The, the thing we, we, we should call it the Bureau of Land Mismanagement. You talk about uh, abuse of the, of the land and ruining the land. Uh, the best managers of the land were the ones who had an interest in the land uh, doing well, and that's the farmers. The farmers never wanted to strip the land. The farmers wanted to, for the land to uh, become better and more fertile and to grow more grasses for their cows and their horses or whatever they were growing, sheep, whatever, to profit from. They wanted, they wanted the, the uh, flora and the fauna, if you want to use those terms, to flourish because the land, the property— the forests, whatever, would flourish. Same way with the timber industry. So what the government has done is totally destroy the timber industry. If you want to look at what destroyed the timber, timber industry, look at the mismanagement of our forests that caused the entire forest, old growth, new growth, all growth, to burn to the ground along with all the animals and creatures that were there. So I'm going to take another break, and uh, I got a couple clips here for you. I got a cool clip on the national anthem coming right up. Thunder on a mountain and as far as the moon. The rook is in the alley and the sun will be here soon. Today's the day you're gonna grab my trombone blue. Well, it's hot stuff here and it's everywhere. Do you know how blessed you are to have gotten up this morning and breathed your first breath of American air? We live in the greatest country God ever let me create it, so would you rise and remove government? Let's honor this land and not forget about those who have fought and died to provide us with the liberty and freedom that we all cherish.
didn't earn those chairs. Your talent didn't earn those chairs. How tall you are and how fast you run, how well you shoot, didn't earn those chairs. Me draw up a play, me recruit real hard, me work real hard, I didn't earn the chair. These guys, when they were your age, interrupted their life. They paused their education. They changed their career. And they gave their life for those chairs. And so when the anthem is played, we're going to stand like grown men. And we're going to honor men like this that gave their life so we could have a chair to sit in. And in the two and a half minutes that the song is played and somebody sings it or the music is played, we're going to stand at attention and honor of these men. Because that freedom allows us to do what we're doing. I don't care if you sing, but I want you to know the words. And I want you to be respectful of the words. Because those words represent people's lives. And all that we're thinking about is these men who earned the right for these chairs to be here. Four of six. We're moving on for a three-hour show today, and thank you again for listening. And I wanted to mention uh, my friend Dave Greenitz today, who has been a great friend of mine. He and his wife. I still remember the days when they were young teenagers, and Leslie and Dave Greenitz have been my friends for over forty years. And through thick and thin, and we've done some amazing projects together and built churches and and uh, saw people change their lives totally going nowhere to going somewhere and uh, having a wonderful life. And we've seen some wonderful things, been serving Jesus together for 40 years. Dave Greenitz has a great construction company that I don't ever build anything fancy, but he always helps me. I just give him lists of stuff, and he comes in here when I'm not here. Maybe I'm in Vietnam or whatever and just fixes my house, makes everything work properly from electrical and the doors not shutting properly or replacing windows. and Just amazing. And uh, But his bread and butter, as they say, his bread and butter. Didn't bread and butter good? People say, don't eat any bread and butter. going to make you fat. But it is good, is it not? Good bread, hot bread, and butter. So Dave Green is his bread and butter. He is good at kitchens and baths. We spend a lot of time in the kitchens and in the baths, don't we not? I tell, when I go to get a hotel in Vietnam, they said, Lou, I said, just give me a cheap hotel. Because I said, I, the only time I'm ever going to be in that hotel is when I'm sleeping. And when I'm unconscious, I don't care what the room looks like. So I just said, get the cheap hotel. So, uh, but Dave Green, it's, so I, I said, it's, I like to have a nice bathroom though, right? 
And of course I eat out when I'm on the road, but Dave Greenitz, that dude knows how to remodel a kitchen and he does some fine work. And the subcontractors he uses, the tile guys and the, another guy that he uses, he uses one of my friends, Dave, Greg Davey painting guy does guy knows how to paint he comes from a whole heritage of his dad was a painter i don't know whether his granddad was a painter his dad was a painter his uncle's a painter they're all they got painting in the blood in fact i think if i pull a little blood out of his arm i'd probably get enamel anyway dave greenish has some great subs he uses his his guys that work for him are some of the best skilled craftsmen i know and uh, they have done they've remodeled some of this old house i've been in and it, they made they made it work a lot better. Anyway, I was just checking out before the show. I said, I'm going to go look at Dave's Facebook page. You can, Dave Greenitz Construction, Inc. There, there's a couple th- different accesses to it, but you go on Facebook. He just got all kinds of before and after shots of their of their projects. and uh, Or you can go on his website at Greenitz, G-R, just like the color green with E-T-Z on the end, Greenitz Construction. uh and uh, his website, greenitsconstruction.com. And you got all these amazing before and after photographs of his work. Now, he, he, he does remodeling. He doesn't build new homes, but he does these amazing re- remodel projects. And then he does some things that can really benefit you. Like if you want to say, hey, I want to get out of the house and experience California outdoors. But I want to have it out in my backyard. So he builds these amazing decks, decks around pools or just decks without pools. And he and there's some new deck products that don't rot. I had a redwood deck at one time, and I just wore it out. I just walked on it so long, it, the wood got tired. And and uh, so he had, there's decks now that are wood-like that just last you till Jesus comes back. And uh, but he does all kinds of decks and he also does like renew renews the entryways into houses like puts these amazing front doors in the other thing this time of year that uh, I'm real cheap on my power. I don't I don't even use central air. I run all these fans, but most people up in the Yuba Sutter area has central air conditioning baby when you turn that you when it gets 100, 100, 105, 110, you turn that central air on, whoo, you go out and look at your meter, PG&E meter, and that thing's spinning around like a DVD. It's flying around there. But they have these things called whole house fans. And uh, it, it's not something you see inside the house, but they put it up in the attic and they pull the really steamy hot air out of that attic and blow it off into the atmosphere. And the way it works is then they have vents and you, you open your windows and you turn the fan on, pulls the hot air out of the ceiling, out of the, out of the attic, and then it pulls any cool air in the mornings, for instance, from the outside and cools your house naturally. That fan that runs that whole house fan doesn't use hardly any energy. Well, so anyway, Greenitz puts in these, Dave Greenitz puts in these whole house fans saves you lots of money don't have to turn on that big old central air unit and uh, you can like coast through some of these hot sacramento valley days so you might want to check that out so i'm gonna you can go on his website if you're a millennial i know you have a real hard time talking face to face with people you get stutter you don't know how to carry on a conversation but you can go on there and then you can just shoot an email right off his website greenitsconstruction.com 
and you can let them know what you're interested in. And maybe you can email back and forth until you feel comfortable enough of actually having a face-to-face or even have a telephone call. You could take, you know, you could take one of those uh, relaxer pills like a Xanax or something before you talk to them so you're not going to have a meltdown and drool or anything. So you could call him at 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602. Now, these guys are busy, but I'll tell you something. One thing about the the folks I'm telling you about on this show, I wouldn't have them on this show if they stood people up or didn't show up on time or did a crappy job. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not into, even though they helped me financially, put this show on, put them on the internet. There's cost to doing this. Uh, I would not have them on the show unless I, I use these guys myself. And so, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, get a hold of Dave Green. It's, you know, it's interesting. People will say, well, they're looking for a contractor. Somebody says, well, my brother's a contractor. You know, you don't know who, what you're getting. You don't know what you're getting. The thing is with, whether whether it, any of the subcontractors with Dave, whether it's plumbing, whether it's tile, whether it's paint, whether it's roofing, you're going to get the best quality, A number one. You're not going to get some guy that just Mr. Low Bid, and that's all he can pull off is the bid. Uh, and they're going to show up on time, get the job done. You ever, you ever seen a job just get strung out, and you think, when are they ever going to finish that job? That thing has been going on forever. These jobs get started and finished, and you're back in the house, and you're enjoying your house. If you're in a house in California, the best thing you can do is remodel, not get a new house. The cost of a new house, and you know what you do? Then you get screwed on the Prop 13 tax relief. You're much better off staying in your house, remodeling your house, keeping your Prop 13 low tax base, and uh, and just enjoying that dude and just re refreshing the whole place greenitz construction dave greenitz he's a good guy he's honest and uh, you'll just you'll you'll uh actually like him you know during the uh, recession 10 12 how many years was it we were under well it was during the whole obama administration basically he didn't cause it but he inherited it but during that whole time a lot of people went out of business greenitz did not the reason was he had a lot of repeat customers that liked him and they had money you know, not everybody didn't have money during a recession. Teachers got paid. Firefighters got paid. Cops got paid. A lot of bureaucrats got paid. Uh, you know, all your government people got paid. So they could afford to get remodels done. So their business kept trucking. Some of my folks, they just kept trucking right through that recession. Why? Because they had a good reputation. And they, they rely on uh, repeat customers and just like you if you go to a bad restaurant you get a couple bad meals at a restaurant you think you know something until that place has good management i don't i'm gonna go over to this other place i'm gonna try something else so give give green it's called green it's construction website.com green etz right on the end or you could call them at 6829602 you might you might get a little discount if you just say you heard it on the Lou Benninger's podcast at uh, No Hostages Radio, or if you just say, I heard it, that you give a dead head discount. You heard of, ever heard of the deadheads? That's the Grateful Dead. Dave Greenitz in his youth used to be a big Grateful Deads fan, and you can just say, hey, I'm calling. I heard about this from Lou, and I are you Dave Greenitz? When he said yes, yeah, I said, I heard you used to like the Grateful Dead, and I heard you're a deadhead. 
So is if I do business with you, can you give me a dead head discount? Ask and see, see what he says. He might fool you, right, and catch you off guard. Well, I want to talk to you now about uh, an, a topic that uh, I've heard a lot of reaction about uh, as, as people are learning about this in various ways. But I talked about it last week on the show, and I told you that this, this current week, we just, in fact, yesterday and the day before, the, you know, in the state of California, well, in all of the United States, parents used to run the school system. Did you know that? Parents would make up the school board, and they would hire the teacher when they had the little one-room schoolhouses. But then we, we came up with government schools. And now we have government schools in California that are run by the union. So it really doesn't matter, even though people run for office to be a school trustee, they are told what to do by the union. And they're really just puppets. And so uh, in the state of California, just like I, I just saw on the news, I don't know whether this will ever come to pass, but uh, Betsy DeVos, she's the Secretary of Education for the United States, and I saw a photo of Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos, and he the comment was over the heading, the heading over the picture, was he wanted to get the federal government out of education. I thought, God bless you, Donald Trump. We do not need a federal education department. You, you, you know, for most of the life of the United States, we had no federal education department. That started under Jimmy Carter. In the 1970s. So uh, we do not and we don't really even need a state education department, but we have one in California. And my hunch is that we'll never get rid of it. Uh, And it's just more and more bureaucracy. So the state, the federal tells the state and the state tells the, the counties, the county districts how to run their schools. Right. And they make these laws. So you have the you have a you have the uh, district. Like I was on the county board of education in Yuba County for uh, several terms. But then you have individual school districts that have their board of education, and then they have superintendents in each district, and you have a board of trustees, right, or school board. So then there's a then there's a state board of education and the state board of education decides the curriculum that all the local areas have to follow. Right. That's how it works in the state of California. And the unions are very influential on uh, those curriculums. Okay, some people believe the unions ought to run everything everywhere. They ought to run the fire department unions ought to run the fire department. You know, they had to run it everywhere. I don't agree with that. I think people, our government's designed, not where unions run things, but where the people themselves vote representatives who then represent the people, and we can vote them in and out of power, um, and then they make decisions. So here's what happened. I told you on May 8th and 9th that the... California Board of Education was going to discuss inflicting upon the children of the state of California, starting kindergarten on up, with a 
uh, sex ed curriculum that's going to talk about there's many, many genders. There's not just boy and girl any longer. There's mixed genders. There's fluid genders. There's transgenders. There's all these genders, right? And they're going to make them question or lead them to question uh, what gender they are. And the whole push behind this was because there's people, young people in the school system that felt like even though they were a boy, they were a girl or vice versa. And they didn't feel like the sex ed teaching was addressing their issues. Right. So we started out with health health classes. Right. That talked about biology, you know, about uh, the difference between a man and a woman, right? And some biological stuff. And now we've got, then we got to putting, showing people about condoms and uh, birth control pills. And then now we have transgenders and homosexuals coming in and talking to kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the public education system. In the private education system, that, that does not have to be that way. However, so... The LGBTXYZ MNNOP, that group, all the people that think that God got confused, he made a lot of male and a lot of female, and then he got discombobulated, and we had some that are cross-pollinated somehow. And so now the California State Board of Education on Wednesday, uh, they made up some new rules. And and in the proposed rules, and they basically voted these in. It's a 700-page document, and the opponents of these new rules, they said this document assaults parent rights, arguing those issues should be taught by parents in the home. Now, that's the big issue for me. My feeling is, if your kid is a homosexual, that's something that you should address at home. If your kid is wanting to figure out where a baby comes from, and he, somebody told him it came from a stork flying the kid in, that's something that you have to deal with at home. To me, the, the sex ed talk, the values, the values about sex, <clears throat> when to have it, how to have it, if you should have it, premarital sex, no premarital sex, all that other stuff, when to date, all that kind of stuff, fondling people, molesting, everything. That's all a parent thing, and the schools should be far from it and stay out of it. The reason is, is people, parents, have differing views on it, right? And the state coming in and stating that the state government now is the guru of views is wrong. I think that's wrong. The same way I don't believe uh, that that a person called the Pope should have the say over the views of the church, of the Catholic Church. Now they can do whatever they want. It's a free. It's a free country. I, I just don't be- believe that's correct. But I'm not a Catholic. I'm I'm just a follower of Jesus. I like 
I like all people, whatever flavor they are, Buddhist, Catholic, Hindu, whatever. I like people. I'm not make, being disparagingly about people, but I just don't believe uh, people need to be dictated to about their value systems. And, uh, and so you, it wasn't long ago, and it may still be in the public school system in California, that teachers or a health nurse could actually take a kid off campus and get the kid an abortion without parental approval. Did you know that? Did you know that your child could go to Planned Parenthood and get an abortion without your approval? The minor child. Did you know that? That's true. Uh, if you're a parent and you don't know these things, please get educated. Uh, so what we have here, the assault, my problem is... I don't think that the education system should even get into sex ed. Should they, could, should they explain some of the science of the human body? Great. Do that. I took a biology class at Yuba College. was fascinating, right? But I do not believe that parents are benefited by this. Now, and I don't like the attitude of we're going to teach this, but you can opt out if you let us know. It's just like that uh, new fee from the Reclamation District 784 out here in Yuba County. They said if enough people, they said we're going to raise the fees unless they're unless y'all mount a protest against it. I don't like that. I don't think that's the way it should be. I don't like the fact that that it, that the school system that mandates by law and will will cite you they can bring criminal charges against you if you don't put your kids in school but it and and mandates that your kid has got to now they're saying that the kids have to take this class and cannot opt out now some of the books listed for this class one of the suggested books in the curriculum the 700 page deal was sex the all-you-need-to-know sexuality guide to get you through your teens and 20s. Now, int uh, so let me tell you what it says. It includes descriptions of anal sex, bondage sex, and other sexual activity. Several parents read from the book and held it up so board members could see the photos, which many described as obscene. Now, I'm sure they were obscene, people. Now, it's interesting that the one school board me meeting by the name of Feliza Ortiz Licone said that the books had created panic. Well, for God's sake, obviously they did create panic because if you've got a little kid, kindergarten, first grade, se innocent kid, and is going to be showed what used to be considered pornography, it would sc scare the hell out of you, Right. And this Ortiz Licone said it distracted from the framework's goals, including teaching students about consent and sex trafficking. Why are we even teaching about consent and sex trafficking to children unless they want to talk about it in a social studies class about different types of criminal behavior? So anyway, they said, well, we're not going to say that they said, well, we're, we're not going to. Um, well, let me just tell you what they said here. Since they created this panic. That's normal. People get panicked over things that are absurd, right? 
So this gal said, this school board says it's important to know the board is not trying to ban books. We're not saying we're not saying that the books are bad. It's so fascinating, these liberals. So now they said, well, we're not going to say that that book has to be taught, but it could be taught. So we're not banning the books. And for God's sake, we're not saying that a book that tells people how to have anal sex, bondage sex, and other sexual activity, including photos, in case you're confused by the wording, if you've never been taught on this before, we're not, well, we're not saying that that's bad. So bunch of crap. But the removal will help avoid misunderstanding that California is mandating the use of these books. Listen, this school board was mandating the use of all these books. Now, let me tell you how liberalism works. They start out saying some pretty radical stuff. Then when they vote it in, they'll say, well, we're really not going to push that. It's out there for people if they want to get into it. We're not going to tell the teacher exactly what they're going to have to say. And the books are there for their reference, but they're not going to, the kids don't necessarily have to see it. Then as we, as we all go back to work and the protest is over and the new rules are in, then the books show up and they use them. That's exactly what they do. They're just like criminals. It's just like you catch a guy trying to open your front door and you say, what are you doing? Oh, I thought this was my house. Oh, I'm just confused. I, I, I thought this was my aunt's house. I just, I was just at the wrong doorway. Right. Oh, really? You got which one, which doorway, which address were you looking? Oh, well, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I'm just confused. Then they leave. Then a week later, your house gets broken into. That's how this, the liberals work. So anyway, they brought in these speakers, right? At this school board meeting. They get in this guy named, he's 16 year old, Phoenix Ali Rajah. Sounds like a real winner. He's a transgender boy who said he is rarely taught information for people like him during sex education classes at his Los Angeles area high school. Now, here you are. You got your kid, right? 99% of the kids in the class, if not all but Phoenix, are heterosexual kids, right? But now we've got to teach 16-year-old Phoenix about transgenderism. And all the other kids got to sit in on it and and be led to believe that there's a possibility that they may decide they want to switch over and take their male plumbing and be females and have some female breasts with a penis, like a nice little package there. So. Phoenix says, 16-year-old transgender Phoenix says, I've never, ta- I've never taught about how to be in a, I've never been taught how to be in a relationship with gay men. Adding that the conversation with sex starts from a different place. Well, I thought, I don't, I wouldn't want, I don't, I have grandkids in school. I don't know what my son and daughter think about all this or whether they're up on it, but my preference would be, if I had control over it, is I would not want them in that school if that baloney is being taught. What do you think, even if they could escape the class, what's going to happen at lunchtime when all the kids start talking about that the kids set to the class? Did you know that transgender, they have breasts and penises? Well, then how do they have sex with the, oh, they go up the backside, they go in their butt. 
Can you imagine that discussion of five and six and seven and eight-year-olds at the, at, at the school cafeteria? So this young guy is saying, oh, because my needs aren't being met, we need to teach this, right? But another lady named Patricia Ray, a lady named Patricia Reyes drove uh, 400 miles from her home in California to the meeting. She brought six children to the meeting of hers, uh, all of whom attend or have attended public schools. And they included her youngest with a four-year-old daughter, Angeline. And Angeline held a sign that said, protect my innocent and childhood. Now, I'm all for that. I think kids ought to enjoy their childhood and should not. That's why I think molestation it's one thing if you want to mess around with an adult woman or adult guy, but messing around with a little child is just so criminally, it just, it flies in the face of God and, and nature and everything. And you damage that child for life. And so I think we need to protect in our school system to protect the innocence and the childhood of all our children and if the Phoenix Ali Rajahs of the world have a problem, they need to go somewhere else and talk to a counselor or talk to their mom and dad and figure that out on their own. Now, listen to me. There has never been a time in the world when you could get by without a teacher better than now. You can go on the Internet, for goodness sakes. And you could study algebra. You can study science. You can study earth science. You can study marine science. You can study uh, about astrology, astronomy. You can study any topic you want. You can study transgenderism. You can look up about any deviant sexual behavior. Now listen, got Phoenix Ali Rajah, 16-year-old transgender boy. Now what's going to happen when you have a, a... Now the easiest thing, if you can't get along, find somebody to have sex with. The, uh, the alternative, and it's, it's, men, it's not new, it's mentioned in the Bible, is to have sex with an animal. The, it's easier to get consent of an animal than it is a human being to have sex with. Did you know that? And so at some point, we're going to have bestiality in this, and they're going to talk about how you can have sex with a dog. Do you know people do that? They have sex with dogs. Or you could have sex with the sheep or a horse or a donkey. There's all kinds of animals that you can have sex with. In fact, I used to talk about a guy who had sex. He, he bought this miniature donkey called Doodles, and uh, he had sex with Doodles. And he worked on a ranch, and he had this old donkey, and they arrested him for it. And then they fired him, and they, they said, not only can't you, they don't want you to be around children. Well, he wasn't having sex with children. He preferred animals. And they said, you can't work on a ranch anymore. Well, that eliminated him getting any work because he had sex with animals. So we have actually more protection for animals against human beings than we have children, against children being molested by humans. Isn't that interesting? That happened down in Florida. I used to talk about it when I was on the radio. So 
Uh, I think this is baloney, and uh, you can go, you can go to a website, and I'll talk more about it in a minute because we're going to take a break right here. But there's rescueyourchild.com, all one word, rescueyourchild.com. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that website when I come back, and we'll get into our next segment. So just hang tight. I have a clip here for you. I think you all these clips are entertaining. They entertain me, so I figure they might entertain you. Be right back. Mr. Gates. Move to strike last word. Gentlemen, is recognized. Thank you. I support the Buck Amendment. When the human body sees life expire within it, one of the final sounds that it can make in dramatic and loud fashion is a death rattle. And I would suggest to the American people that what they're witnessing is the death rattle of the Democrats' Russia collusion lie. For 22 months, my colleagues on the other side, many of them, said there was actual evidence of collusion. And so now, clearly seeing that that is not true, we observe our colleagues moving through the stages of grief. First, we saw shock and surprise. My colleagues would huddle together after the findings of the Mueller report were released, wondering what to do next, what play to run after losing all credibility with the American people. And After shock, we now are in the stage of denial, where the principal findings of the Mueller report, they just can't be true. They can't be accepted. They must be false. There must be more information we can discover. I know we're beginning the baseball season, so perhaps a baseball analogy would be appropriate. This would be like saying, well, we've lost the game, but we have to tweeze through the box score to see if we won the third inning. That's what is essentially happening with the desire of Democrats in the, in the production of these subpoenas and voting on them today. It also represents a stark departure from the standards and statements that my own Democratic colleagues have laid out just last Congress and this Congress. I'm quoting now from uh, the, the Speaker of the House, uh, Ms. Pelosi, on February, in February of 2018. She said, President Trump has surrendered his constitutional responsibility as Commander-in-Chief by releasing highly classified and distorted intelligence, by not protecting intelligence sources and methods, he just sent his friend Putin a bouquet. Well, there was no bouquet, no untoward relationship with Vladimir Putin, but there was a statement from the Speaker of the House acknowledging that if you do not review sources and methods, you are derelict in your duty to the country. Well, now that they're going through their stages of grief, perhaps we're approaching bargaining because now they're trying to bargain away their own standards. But it's not just the Speaker of the House. Let's look to statements from the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the gentleman from New York, Mr. Nadler. He said on June 28th of 2018, Republicans are requesting documents they know they cannot have. He continued, and if the majority, speaking of the Republicans, is rightly denied, they will do their best to undermine the credibility of the Department of Justice. Well, Mr. Chairman, you are now asking for documents you know you cannot have. 
And you're doing so in order to erode confidence in the Attorney General who leads the Department of Justice because he has concluded that there was not collusion and that your principal Russian narrative was not truthful, was not credible. We were right, you were wrong, and the American people know it. And so as we proceed now on this unfocused 81-pronged investigation that the Judiciary Committee has launched, as we continue to have these mindless votes on unnecessary subpoenas, I sincerely hope that the American people will remember what things the Democrats were saying just months ago, that there was collusion, that there was actual evidence of collusion, and that sources and methods could never be disclosed as a consequence of our fidelity to our oath and to the people of this country. Let's have some consistency, and let's at least have some acknowledgement that you all were not telling the truth to the American people for an extended period of time. We were, and you should not be trusted. I yield back. Here we go. So we're talking about the school system of California at one time was the number one school system in the United States of America. And today is like 48 out of 50. It's not only poor academically, but it's perverted. It's deviant. It's teaching children uh, bad values twisted values and things that are a lie it's one thing to teach theory it's another thing to teach something as fact that it's actually not true so they teach probably throughout all the united states and most most all schools few exceptions that we came from monkeys they teach evolution they teach charles darwin's theories from when he was in his 20s that he even said unless you could actually find the proof link between humans and primates, this whole thing is baloney. But we skipped that. And so liberals have inflicted upon generation out of generation, millions and millions of young people, the lie that somehow we are from primates. Uh, And we go back far enough, you'll find great, 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 great granddaddy is a monkey. That's a lie. They teach global warming. That's a lie. And more and more of what being taught, uh, uh, they teach you not how to think in public schools, but what to think. It's indoctrination. It's propaganda. And so it's one thing if the propaganda is true, it's truth. But they don't do not teach American history accurately. They have revised American history. It's politically correct American history. They don't teach the Constitution anymore. They teach it came from a monkey. Uh, they teach that socialism is good. Communism is good. Capitalism is selfish and greedy. Then they teach, now they're into the sexual. Basically, the school system is indoctrinating generation after generation of our youth. The alternative You think, oh, well, we can change the school system. Not likely. 
I was on the school board. You can do very, very little on the school board. Uh, everything is handed down to you. What you what the school system needs is throwing off union control and an absolute revolution and total parent control. Now, in the meantime, Randy Thomason, who has a two has a family uh, family focused Christian lobbying group <clears throat> that works in Sacramento at the legislature. Now, if you're listening from another state, you're next. So you can see, I uh, hope what go what well, you can see what's going on here should scare the hell out of you, because it's coming your way. Randy has a uh, a website that he's had for many years now called SaveCalifornia.com. It's a very good website. It's it helps you. Um, can it's a very proactive hands-on website where you can get some stuff done. It's just not information. It's great information, good, accurate information, but it actually connects you with your legislature, legislators in California to communicate with them. And it also tells you how your legislators are voting. So then because of the terrible problem in our school system, he created a second website called rescueyourchild.com. Now, if you go to that website, right under the heading, it says Proverbs 22, chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's out of the Bible, if you haven't read the Bible yet. So, uh, but he lists problems facing California public school parents. What your child is guaranteed in the public schools. He says, because of bad laws, lack of pro-family laws, and politically correct trends, here's what kids are guaranteed to receive in public schools in California. Number one, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual indoctrination without parental consent, including off-campus pro-homosexuality counseling. Two, pro-abortion indoctrination, confidential abortion referrals, and off-campus counseling without parental consent. Three, condom birth control pills, indoctrination and distribution without parental consent. No, che- no teaching children how to avoid sexually transmitted diseases or abstinence-only education. That's all prohibited. Four, anti-God, pro-evolution indoctrination. Five, political correctness. Six, dumbed-down academics less academic success on average than private school or homeschool children. Seven, negative socialization and peer pressure. Eight, less safety on average than private schools. Nine, anti-Christian indoctrination, widespread rejection of religious and moral values. Ten, anti-parent sentiments. So, uh, he, and then he gives on this website, rescueyourchild.com, ideas on how you can, uh, 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 alternative ways that you can educate your child. So he has solutions here, how to rescue your child, and he lists all of them. And so uh, you can utilize some of these ideas, even from other states. Now, some of the bills, he lists a lot of the bills in California or laws that have shaped our problem here. Um, 
But uh, but aside from that, you can see ways that you could start working with your own kids. Now, he says, uh, here's some other problems besides the sexual indoctrination laws. He said there's no California statute prohibiting public school teachers from promoting any legal sexual lifestyle or practice. Do you understand that? There's no law prohibiting your teacher from promoting, say if that teacher is a homosexual or transsexual, from promoting a lifestyle or sexual practice. Number two, schools can and do hold lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender diversity days or weeks or months where they celebrate this kind of lifestyle. Number three, schools can and many do permit the pro-LGBT Day of Silence every April. That's where they, uh, they promote that kind of lifestyle. Number four, districts must permit gay-straight alliance clubs on campus. In California, there are more than six there, excuse me, there are more than 850 of these clubs, gay-straight clubs, with a staff sponsor promoting homosexuality, bisexuality, and transsexuality on campus to the entire student body. In 2007, these clubs sponsored Harvey Milk Day, uh, forcing the indoctrination. And I'll, I'll, I think maybe next week I'll talk about Harvey Milk Day. I think it's coming up. California, I think Harvey Milk Day is uh, like the 21st or 22nd of May. So, uh, anyway, that's. I think that's all I want to say about that. I got a lot of other things to talk about. Actually, I got too much to cover today, but uh, I didn't know how much in depth I would go under on, on each of these. But, um, Anyway, that, that'll do it on that. Now, I want to talk about, let me see if I can slide down. Oh, here we go. I should be able to ice. Okay. So here's, we know that uh, a number of states have declared their state a sanctuary state for people being in this country illegally. Now, that's absurd to start with. I travel quite a bit in foreign countries you have to get a uh, passport to travel, and you also have to get a visa from that country giving personal permission of you so they, they have a chance from the get-go to say, we don't want you here. We're not going to allow you permission to come, even if you fly into the airport. So in San Francisco, when I fly out, they actually look in my passport for my Vietnam visa or wherever I'm flying. And even though I bought a ticket from them and purchased it, have already paid for it, they will not allow me to get the boarding pass unless the visa is in the passport. Very strict. So uh, now, in, in because of the, the liberal control of the United States government, deep state, etc., we have these policies where states are saying that people that have broken the law to get in the country can remain in these states and cities uh, free of uh, apprehension. So what's happening is, uh, and then what's happening is because of the, our entire immigration system is broken. Uh, we, we just 
we don't allow people to enforce the very laws. We have a lot of liberal judges that refuse to enforce the laws. We have millions of people that are being assaulted, damaged, ripped off, raped, molested, killed, uh, either premeditated or unpremeditated in the United States in a variety of ways. And so that's affecting people locally here. The latest incident is that an illegal alien who has been deported once before, at least once before out of Arizona, came back, was living in Yuba City, driving drunk at a high rate of speed, and ran off the road near a city, a small town called Knight's Landing in southern Sutter County. And when he ran off the road, tragically, instead of running out into a farm farm field, which wouldn't have caused much damage, he ran into a, uh, a small housing area. Uh, it was uh, not houses, but like trailers, small trailers where families or mobile homes where families were living, mainly migrant farm families. When you ran off the road, it crashed through one trailer where four people were living, two adults and two children. It killed uh, both adults and the boy, the daughter, survived. It ran through that house and knocked the next uh, trailer off its foundation. The guy, um, the the fellow, his name is Ismail Huazo Hardines. Uh, he got out of the vehicle. And people were so incensed. They said when he opened the door, you could smell the alcohol. He began to walk off and they attacked him and beat him down uh, with shovels and sticks. That's the description I got from the residents. And until the highway patrol arrived, the highway patrol initially thought it was a, a big brawl, uh, but but soon learned what happened. And uh, they arrested him and they put him in the Sutter County Jail the judge, David Ashby, uh, who is a, a new judge appointed by Governor Brown, uh, set bail on this guy at $300,000. The Highway Patrol requested that it either be no bail because of, you know, bail is, is uh, set depending on the severity of the crime and the risk of flight for the person not to show up back for court. So each county has what they call a bail, kind of a menu or a bail schedule that they, I, I don't know whether they do that to say that it can't just be willy-nilly that judges have to kind of decide according to the bail schedule. But I guess if you are a drunk driver and you kill one person, it's one thing, two person more, three person more. So for a three person fatality, it's 300,000, supposedly. That's one of the deals. Anyway, could a judge do something different? Certainly a judge can do something different. Now, some people have suggested that Judge Ashby could not entertain or inquire about whether this man was illegal in the country. In other words, he didn't have to prove maybe he was a citizen or not. I don't know all the details on that. But the different spokespeople have said surrounding the government here in Sutter County, it's a very sensitive issue with the immigration issue. 
So uh, not only did the bail get set at 300000 but then the, the gentleman, if you can call him that, uh, let's face it, the guy has an alcohol problem, right? He's been, he's been uh, arrested or cited for reckless driving before. But I've had uh, friends that had had, they, I have friends today that have drug and alcohol problems. When they're sober, they're great, great people. But the problem is, it's kind of like people say, he's such a nice guy. But then he slit the person's throat, right? The rest of his life, he was a good father, good parent, good husband, coached Little League. But then he slit the woman's throat. Why would he do that? But he's such a wonderful guy. So this guy killed these people and damaged, severely damaged this little girl and on $300,000 bail. Now, the fascinating thing is he got bailed out immediately. Now, typical of bail, I bailed out once in my life, but it, I, I know some bail bonds people are flexible. But usually if you get a bond and pay a bond to bail out, you usually have to put up 10% of the money, right? And that's your cost. You lose that. So that's 30000 right there. So I don't know where this guy gets his money. I don't know where, how, how he earns his income. He could work for the cartel for all I know. Maybe he's a major drug dealer. I don't know. So, uh, so ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, <clears throat> were contacted. Highway Patrol, they were monitoring where this guy was. They learned he lived in Yuba City, and they, they saw that he was packing up to flee. So they contacted ICE, and ICE picked him up, and then they put him at the Yuba County Jail, which is an immigration detention facility as well as a normal jail, and they're holding him, holding him there. Now, people are going on Facebook and saying that the... That the uh, Judge is a piece of SHIT, this, that, and the other thing. I think uh, Ashby is probably a decent guy. I haven't talked to him in years. I coached him when he was a kid with my son in basketball. He was a nice kid, comes from a nice family. The whole fiasco that we're in in California is we're being run by people that are perverts and are, are mentally nonsensical. They have no sense. They have non-sense. And this foolishness of just play this, we're all one. We are the world. There's no borders. Anybody can come here with any kind of disease, any kind of devious, devious, uh, devious sexual behavior, any kind of weird outlook, any kind of criminal behavior. They could be involved in the cartel. They could be molesters, murderers. Nobody's going to vet anybody. Anybody can come, and we're just going to open arms, welcome them, give them free education, free food, free health, free, 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 free. Everything's going to be okay. And then if they come in, we're going to allow them to come in, and then we're going to we're going to book and release them to come back voluntarily to court. Most of them never do. They just disappear into the woodwork as they say. So, Huazo Hardinas, according to law enforcement, was preparing to flee as they monitored him, uh, surveilled him. 
right, with surveillance in his neighborhood, watched him all day, and they picked him up. So it's an embarrassment uh, to Sutter County. I don't care whether they say, I remember when a previous judge, Aronson, gave really low rates of bail to these sexual uh, predators. Uh, And they say, well, that's just what the bail menu said or the bail schedule. I, I say, screw the schedule. You know, screw the schedule. God did not give us a schedule. You know, if the God gave us the Ten Commandments, I'm on board with it. But God did not give us a bail schedule. And sometimes the bail schedule doesn't make any sense. Now, some of these attorneys, defense and prosecutors, some of them think we ought to just get rid of all bail. And just either hold a person or not hold a person, right? You either say you get no bail or you, or you get, in other words, you get to go free or you're going to stay and nothing in between. You can't bail out. They're, they're arguing for that. But the, the, the media was so cautious. Oh, well, I don't know. He's Mexican. Can we even get into the fact that he's an illegal alien? Yeah, he's an illegal alien. And he killed a bunch of very fine people. And uh, so that's what's going on. So it's interesting. It said in one of the articles I read that the I think it was the city of Yuba City, the city council said that they took a stand that they didn't want to be a sanctuary city. Now, the interesting thing is people are saying, in fact, last night on uh, our trauma intervention training, we had a, a representative from victim services from Sutter County, and she gave a talk about. Uh, their services to victims. And and so the question was, hey, when a person, a perpetrator is arrested and say for domestic violence, how, how does the victim know if they'll get released or not? She said often if they're released before we even learn about it, we can't even keep up with it. We don't even know they got released. If they we haven't been notified by law enforcement, that they're, they're incarcerated. So what ICE is saying about uh, Ismael Huazo Hardinas, who killed the three people. We didn't even know that the person had been arrested. He was out before we even got notified that this person had been incarcerated to determine whether he was illegal or not. And, and the fact is that in many cases, the local sheriff's department is forbidden from contacting ICE. It's just crazy. And it's, and it's interesting that the law enforcement people themselves want to work together. It's the politicians that have got this thing so totally screwed up and are down in Sacramento. Many of the local politicians do not want to cooperate with this kind of baloney. They know it's corrupt. It's criminal. It's a violation against humanity is what it is. It's criminal. But that's what's going on. And uh, some of the trauma intervention people that were there the night of the crash uh, were back down there a couple nights later for a a vigil, a grief vigil in the trailer park itself. They invited us back down there. So uh, if you don't know anything about trauma intervention program, you can look it up at uh, yubasuttertip.com. Dot org. You can read about what we do up here in Yuba Sutter counties. We go out on 911 calls to help families. So uh, it's just awful what's going on. And uh, whether you're down at the border and the corruption at the border, 
they're they're actually paying ch- parents to borrow children to go to the border. Adults are doing this. They're paying, and then they're lying to our uh, ICE officials, Homeland Security officials, saying this is my son, and they have false documents saying this is my son. Because they believe that if you have a child coming into the border illegally and asking for asylum or whatever, that the United States will give you a better deal. So we have all these kids that are now being used as pawns and parents making money off kids like almost like sex slavery, but being marketed uh, to come into this country. It's just totally absurd. But that's what's going on. Uh, let me see if I can find, uh, I'll read you this, this one account that just, uh, so the migrant paid $130 to rent a boy, rent a boy to cross the border. Now, when that boy gets rented, he paid $130 to rent the eight year old boy and he paid another $130. This is a Guatemalan. He paid a second 130 to another person to create false birth certificate for the child. Listen, along the border of Mexico, United States, this is an entire industry. Cartel is making millions off of it. It's just it isn't the isolated situation where a person just wants to have a better life. This is an onslaught. Uh, They are blitzing the border with all kinds of foolishness, deception, counterfeit. Uh, There's sex trade going on. It's a disaster. And the liberals in this country of the United States have perpetrated it. And actually, beyond the liberals, there's a lot of people in the Republican Party, the Koch brothers, uh, or the Koch brothers, however you want to call their their, their name, K-O-C-H, a lot of people that, that think somehow that open borders is a good thing. So this guy and this eight-year-old boy, they made the illegal border crossing after traveling across Mexico by bus. They're Guatemalans. After being processed in the Tucson sector of Homeland Security, special agents began talking to the man and eventually learned he paid for the use of the boy and for the false documents. And they're locking these people up. But what the article says the penalty for doing this is a couple weeks in jail. It's just so absurd. It's so criminal and absurd. The Arizona Daily Star, a newspaper, reported that 50, there were 53 prosecutions for false family claims and 15 cases of adults using fraudulent birth certificates um, to, to manipulate these minor children since 2018 the point they were making the arizona star is there's hardly any prosecution of this they're just catching and releasing and it's just the whole situation is totally out of control and and it's absurd so uh i wanted to mention uh before i get down to the last couple things oh let me just these are other examples before I leave the ICE situation. ICE is now creating a top 10 wanted list of, uh, of people that have done dastardly things that are illegal in this country. People that have run over people, drunk driving, shot people. It's just, it's unbelievable. Let me see if I can find it. 
Uh, oh, I don't know that I can find it fast enough here. Oh, yeah, here we go. I'm coming up to it now. So we have a gal named, there's one case, Sarah Root, R-O-O-T, Sarah Root. She was a 4.0. Um, she had just graduated from college. She was killed while sitting at a stoplight in Omaha, Nebraska. Edwin Mejia crashed his truck into the back of Root's vehicle while street racing. He had a the the legal blood alcohol level that you can drive with, although it's dangerous, is 0.08 percent. I don't know what it is in in Omaha, Omaha Nebraska. Here, if if you're 0.08, they could arrest you or not arrest you. Edwin Mejia had not 0.08 or even 0.1. would be definitely arrest. He had a 0.241%. That essentially is three times the legal limit, three times the legal limit, 300% of the legal limit in California. In Omaha, Nebraska, it's at 0.241 blood alcohol level, three times the legal limit. He crashed into the back of Sarah Root and killed her. But, But she... He didn't kill her instantly. She lingered in the hospital. This is so fascinating. According to Sarah's mother, Michelle Root, Mejia's custody was short-lived, just like the guy the other day. Mejia uh, was let go after posting a $5,000 cash bail. $5,000 $5,000 after killing a woman. He had a, he was three times the legal limit. They let him out. Uh, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials said Root was still alive in the hospital at that point, so Mejia didn't rise to the level of mandatory detention. So, in other words, she was badly damaged, but so they cited and released, basically. He put up $5,000. But she died. But Mejia never returned to court. So now Mejia is one of seven fugitives on a brand new most wanted list created by ICE, ICE's Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement. Let me say that again. Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement, or the acronym is VOICE. So I'm wondering if this same group isn't the group that came in and picked, picked up uh, the guy that crashed the Knights Landing people. So he is on that list. He put up $5,000 of his own money, or somebody's money, and split, right? And it looked like that this gentleman the other day also was preparing to leave. That's why they brought in this group. So uh, the fugitives on this list of voice are Mexican or Central Americans who have been accused of vehicular manslaughter in cities and towns across the U.S., uh, adding a dimension to ICE's roster of fugitives wanted for human tra- trafficking and duck- ducking removal orders. 
So we're getting ready to, uh, we're wrapping up this segment. We're going to have one more segment. So I'm going to take one more break and uh, play you a little clip on Jim Jordan saying it's called spying. We'll be right back. Chairman, my understanding is Mr. Mueller's going to be here next week. Why are we doing it? You're going to get to ask the guy who wrote the whole darn document. We're all going to get asked him questions. Why don't you hold off on this contempt until at least the guy who wrote the thing spent 22 months and $35 million with a whole bunch of Democrat lawyers putting it together. Why don't you wait and ask him next week before we do this contempt resolution? Gentlemen's recognized. Bill Barr is following the law. And what's his reward? Democrats are going to hold him in contempt. I don't, think the, I don't think today's actually about getting information. I don't think it's about getting the unredacted Mueller report. I don't think last week's hearing was actually about having staff question the Attorney General. I think it's, as my colleague said earlier, I think it's all about trying to destroy Bill Barr because Democrats are nervous he's going to get to the bottom of everything. He's going to find out how and why this investigation started in the first place. Never forget what Bill Barr said a few weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, when he testified in front of the Senate Finance Committee said a lot of important things, but he said three, excuse me, four very interesting things. First, he said there was a failure of leadership at the upper echelon, term he used, upper echelon of the FBI. We all know that's the case. Director Comey's been fired. Deputy Director McCabe fired, lied three times under oath, according to the Inspector General. FBI counsel Jim Baker demoted and left, currently under investigation by the Justice Department. Lisa Page demoted and left. Peter Strzok, deputy head of counterintelligence, demoted and fired. Peter Strzok, the guy who ran the Clinton investigation and the Russian investigation. There was certainly a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. Second thing the attorney general said three and a half weeks ago in front of the Senate Finance Committee, spying did occur said it twice. Yes, spying did occur. Third, he said, there's a basis for my concern about the spying that took place. And maybe the most interesting thing, two terms he used that, frankly, I find frightening. He said there was, in his judgment, he thinks there may have been unauthorized surveillance and political surveillance. Scary terms. We got to go back to January 3rd, 2017. Senator Schumer on the Rachel Maddow show talking about then President elect Trump says this. If you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. Now, I don't know if the FBI went after President Trump in six ways, but I sure know they went after him in two ways. And the first one is the now famous dossier on October 21st, 2016, the FBI used one party's opposition research document as the basis to go to a secret court to get a warrant to spy on the other party's campaign. That happened. Democrat National Committee, the Clinton campaign, paid Perkins Coie Law Firm, who hired Fusion GPS, who then hired a foreigner, Christopher Steele, who did what? Talked to Russians and put together this salacious, unverified document that became the basis to get a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. They did it. And when they went to the court, they didn't tell them important things like who paid for it. They didn't tell them that Christopher Steele had already told the FBI and the Justice Department that he was, quote, desperate to stop Trump. And they didn't tell the court that Christopher Steele had been fired by the FBI because he's out talking to the press. They did that. 
And second, just last Thursday, just last Thursday, New York Times story, FBI sent investigator posing as an assistant to meet with the Trump aide in 2016. FBI sent someone in, pretending to be somebody else, to talk with George Papadopoulos, who was with the Trump campaign. You know what they call that? You know what they call that? It's called spying. They did it. They did it. They did it twice, and who knows how much more. And what I know is Bill Barr has said he's going to get to the bottom of it. And think about the term he used again. This is important. Political surveillance the in the United States of America. I will not yield. Think about that term. He's going to get to the, he said he's going to put a team together, going to investigate all this. This is critical. And never forget the guy who ran this investigation, Peter Strzok, ran the Clinton investigation and then launched and ran the Trump-Russia investigation. Never forget what he said. Trump should lose $100 million to zero. We need an insurance policy. Told Lisa Page, don't worry, Lisa, we'll stop Trump. This is what Bill Barr wants to investigate. And as, other, as my colleagues have said, this is the House Judiciary Committee with the history this committee has in protecting fundamental liberties and protecting the Constitution. Last week, there was another important document, document Emmett Flood sent to the Attorney General. I just want to read a couple sentences. Under our system of government, unelected executive branch officers and intelligence agency personnel are supposed to answer to the person elected by the people, the president, and not the other way around. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's a matter of having a government responsible to the people, to we the people. In, a partisan, in the partisan commotion surrounding the Mueller report, it would be well to remember that what can be done to a president can be done to any of us. And this committee is supposed to look out for that fundamental fact more than anything else. And we are not doing that today. I yield back. segment for today, which is May 11th, the day before Mother's Day. And uh, I want to talk some about the minimum wage. I mentioned earlier that I was unsure about what the minimum wage was in California because I got this young guy a job and uh, I thought, man, that I wonder how much he's making. So I looked it up while we took a break and uh, it says here, that the California minimum wage is $11 an hour, okay? In Texas, it's $7.25. In Florida, it's $8.46. In San Francisco, did you know that a city can have a different rule than the, than the state? In other words, a state sets the, the bare minimum. And uh, then the city, other jurisdictions could have a higher rate. San Francisco, the minimum wage rate is $15 an hour. So 
is the minimum wage rate a good thing or a bad thing? Economists, most economists agree it's a very bad thing. And most politicians are too stupid <clears throat> to know why. <clears throat> Other politicians, liberals, uh, they don't want businesses to be able to make any decisions on their own anyway. They want to dictate how to run a business. Uh, so they like the idea of having the business being sort of an extension of government, an arm of government, so the government would actually, instead of just giving money away free, the money would actually be given uh, by the business owner, but given according to how the government wants to pay people, right? So the government wants, wants the uh, authority to run your business, but not the responsibility of the business, okay? So uh, I, I, used to, uh, I used to mow my own lawn. Now I just have a guy come in and do it for me, mow and blow, as I say. I do a lot of my own yard work, but uh, I thought, hey, I'm too busy. Not that I, I actually like to do yard work, but I just got really busy, and I thought I didn't keep it nice looking, looking consistent enough, so a guy offered to do it. But I used to have every once in a while a neighborhood kid would come by, and he would say, Lou, can I mow your yard or can I do something to earn a little money? And I'd put him to work. And uh, so I want to just use that as an example of how the minimum wage, how just to pretend there's no such thing as a minimum wage. That gover just pretend there was no government. And my friend Billy, who was a very fine guy that was raised by a single mother, never knew his dad. And uh, he ended up going to the military becoming a naval uh, guy and just a great guy, great kid, great high school kid, great grammar school kid. Uh, just a, you couldn't ask for a nicer boy. Anyway, he would come and want to do work. So I had an idea of what, how much it would be worth. And I would pay him that. And he accepted that. So it was a gentleman's agreement between me, an old guy and a young boy. Now, if I offered him, if he wanted to mow my yard, which would be worth about $10 or $15, I'd pay him, uh, which was a lot of money, actually. It's less, more money than I pay now. But I'd just help him out. But if I offered him, and he brought his mower over, and I offered him a dollar, he would say, he would reject that. Even as a young man of eight, maybe he was 12 years old, 10 years old at that time, he would reject that. He'd say, Lou, I don't want to do it for a dollar. That's not enough money. He had a concept of, in his mind of how much money was worth. And I wasn't forcing him to do uh, my lawn for a dollar. Uh, I was just offering a dollar. Now, we could negotiate that. He'd say, no, I want $10. I'd say, I'll give you five. No, seven. We'd go back and forth, right? At, at any point, he could say, sorry, I don't want to do the lawn. I'd say, okay, right? And we'd both go our separate ways. And my lawn would stay long and look ungodly, right? That's how, that's how business should work. Two people deciding on a price that both feel is a good deal for them. I win because I get my lawn cut. It looks good. I didn't have to do it myself. And and then the boy gets $10, if that's the agreed upon price. He's better off than when he started. He traded me his time and a little bit of gasoline and wear and tear in his mower to do my lawn. 
and then he could go on and make another $10 in the next hour or two, right? So we, we both benefited. That's the way it's supposed to work. The government has been influenced by unions because uh, it, it influences people to join the union, and it helps them increase their wages by setting a minimum wage. It's a bad deal. And, and the people, they claim it helps, it actually hurts. So here's the rational. For, I want to talk about the minimum wage a little bit. And, uh, and I'll break it because I want to talk about one more of our sponsors before we uh, quit. But I'll start into this and then take a little break. So there are two groups of supporters for the policy of minimum wage. One of those who believe that a higher minimum wage will automatically raise compensation of low-wage workers and thus improve their life. Okay. That legislation is off, often called living wage legislation, and it's, it's supported by all the 2020 Democrat contenders for president. The belief that a living wage policy will be effective for low-wage workers is based on two assumptions— one is that business can afford to pay, pay them more money. And the second is that few, if any, of these workers will lose their jobs. This is a very dangerous line of thinking. Competition amongst businesses is very difficult. It's tough. And a lot of businesses' expenses, wages, and uh, raising employment costs even a little can be the difference between a worker who generates enough value to have a job and one who doesn't you just think that guy's not worth that money so you lay him off right we can't afford we we'll just have to do this amount of work with less people even for businesses with higher mar margins of profit raising the minimum wage is still dangerous because wor the worker's job might be outsourced in other words you can outsource a job sometimes cheaper than paying all the wages and the fringe benefits yourself right? You could just have somebody do it. The second group that supports a high minimum wage are labor unions. They, uh, they wrap their argument in the support of higher minimum wage in terms of wanting to help all workers, including non-union workers. But the real agenda is a blatant self-interest that flies under the radar. This includes the fact that some union wage rates are multiples of the minimum wage. So the union bases its wage rate on a certain percentage higher than the minimum wage rate set by the government, by legislators. So a minimum wage hike automatically means that a higher would automatically mean all union wages would go up or what they call in government jobs of schools, building schools, building government buildings, building highways, the prevailing wage of unions. In addition to including in the fine print of much living wage legislation, they actually exempt unions from the minimum wage altogether, right? The minimum wage was actually an, a racist idea in the beginning because many of the black contractors in the South, when they started to get more and more skills after slavery, they were competing with white contractors and they would do the job for a lot less, so much less that even though they may be slower and less skilled at that time when they were starting out, they could save the, 
the the person hiring them a lot of money. They were beating the unions out of a lot of work uh, in the south and the east coast of the United States. And so the unions talked the government into the minimum wage and even the Davis-Bacon Act, which set a prevailing wage for government jobs. So it forced people that if you're going to pay, play the, pay the black contractor as much as a white contractor, uh, if you're forced by government to do that, it took away the competition. It actually took away the leverage that black people had to compete with the more highly skilled or highly competent, more experienced white labor contractors when this all, when it all got started today. I, I can't make the same comparison, but the fact is it, it removed the competition. So, uh, minimum wage legislation is a leading example of the law of unintended consequences. It happens all the time when we, they make new law in Sacramento, Washington, they, it sounds good, but then they never thought through the unintended consequences of that law. And then they either have to go back and change the law or live with the law or whatever. So in the attempts to increase income of low-wage workers through minimum wage, it leads to other workers completely losing their jobs. And so from the perspective of the low-wage worker, raising the minimum wage is somewhat like Russian roulette. Think of it that way. The higher the minimum wage the greater the chance that a low-wage worker will lose their jobs. Now, I'm going to pick this up in a minute, but I want to talk about uh, my friends over at the Plumbing Doctor who operate in this, these counties, Yuba Sutter. They go up into Butte, maybe, maybe over into Calusa. I don't know if they go up in Nevada much, but uh, Nevada County. But certainly Yuba Sutter is, is sort of their the heart of their target of, of where they operate. So plumbing doctor does great work. They operate 24 hours a day. They have set, they have a set scale on how they do certain jobs. So that you know, going in what it's going to cost you. And, uh, so you can get a hold of them 24 hours a day. It's five, three, zero, six, seven, one, nine, one, one, one. I've used them many times. I liked them. They convinced me to, because of the high water rates from the Marysville, uh, the the water district here in Marysville. It's a private company called Cal Water. They have egregious, usurious, high rates. Uh, they said, Lou, if we change out your, uh, they knew they knew I was complaining about the rates. So the plumbing doctor, they were over here fixing something one day. They said, Lou, if we change out these toilets, it will cut your water usage by the toilets in more than half. I said, change them out, baby. So uh, anyway, they have good ideas. They've changed out my hot water heater. They've fixed plumbing problems. I have an old house, so sometimes the plumbing just blows out. It's just worn out, rots out. And uh, so they're good to deal with. They're honest. They, they do their job well. They'll even hook you a new sewer hookup. They'll hook you a wa new water line hookup to the main. Plug in, you know, connect out the street. They do commercial and they do uh, residential. So five three zero six seven one nine one one one. Now I'm going back to talk about minimum wage. The effect of a higher minimum wage is uh, trouble on on employ on employees. Here's what happened immediately after legislation passes. 
you may not see much of a negative consequences in job loss. But over time, employers start to see the difficulty in the bottom line. But if there isn't any, like I tell youngsters that don't know anything about business, if that employer does not make enough money to pay you, pay all his expenses, pay his overhead, pay for the raw materials, and there's not money left over at the end, somebody's going to lose their job or they're going to go out of business. So job loss is a, a natural consequence of increasing the minimum wage. Forcing people to do certain things will cause them to make changes in how they do business. Uh, so the the argument uh, that increasing the minimum wage does not depress employment or reduce employment is just a total lie. It's fraudulent. It's baloney. It's a lie. So the minimum wage, according to this economist, said has it has a very large and very negative effect on young people, particularly those with very little work experience. Listen, if as parents you've taught a person to work hard, right, have a good attitude, everything else can be learned on the job. But it has to be learned, just like my friend who I got started in this farm business. He is learning everything about grapevine nursery work, and it's great. He's going to learn a lot of really good skills. He's going to learn a lot of life skills. He's going to learn about people. It's a wonderful experience, and he's getting paid very well for it. The economist that I studied here said most minimum wage jobs are held by those under the age of 25 and who work part-time. I want you to pay attention to this. This is really an important statistic. Only about 0.4 tenths percent, that's less than one half of 1% of full-time head of households. You know, people say, you can't raise a family on minimum wage. The fact is it wasn't ever in, starter jobs were not intended for places to raise a family. A 15-year-old boy shouldn't be raising a family. A 16-year-old boy, 17-year-old girl, 18-year-old girl shouldn't be raising a family. It says here that four-tenths of 1% of full-time head of household individuals earn the minimum wage. Head of households are not earning minimum wage. If they are, it's, it's an outlier or it's a... It's an oddity because people should have a lot. They should be a lot farther ahead in life by that time. Almost no one who is the main provider for their family is earning the minimum wage, according to this economist. It's a very costly myth. A myth, M-Y-T-H, is something that's commonly believed and repeated, but it's totally false. He says, every time we raise the minimum wage, young people, kids lose the jobs. You wonder why kids are out. How come these kids are out tagging up buildings? Or how come they're just laying around looking at the computer, looking at their phone, lazy, da-da-da-da-da? Because you've taken all their jobs from them by causing employers to have to pay them too much money. This young guy, he's a great kid. I've had him work at my house. I pay him. I don't think he's worth $11 an hour. To pay a guy eight hours, eight that's nearly $100 a day. I think it's too much. he He's a nice kid. I'm sure he, his effort, he puts in a big effort. But the fact is he doesn't know anything about what they're asking him to do. He's got to learn that. So 
the whole program is inefficient and it's not it isn't right. We should be in instead what we should be doing is if we're going to do anything in politics is implementing. We shouldn't implement policies that prevent people from being able to work. Now, we we saw black unemployment. Now, let me tell you, this is a story this well-known economist tells. He says in two, 2014, when the economy was still very weak, that's remember, that's before Obama left office. He says, the economist says, I was asked to meet with a Democrat candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives and share economic ideas. During the meeting, the, the candidate indicated that he was a strong supporter of a higher, in other words, an increased minimum wage to, quote, help hardworking low-income families. Don't you hear that a lot? They want those votes, Right. And they think, you vote for me, I'm going to get you more money. I'm going to force that guy, even though I don't have anything to do with that business, I'm going to force him by law to raise raise your wages. Now, that is totally, that's against, it should be against the law. So the economist replied to the candidate for the House of Representatives by, by asking this question. The economist asked the candidate, do you know that today's unemployment rate among black teenagers, this is in 2014, is nearly 40%? And the candidate responded by saying, that's terrible. Racism is such a terrible thing. The economist answered, yes, racism is awful. But did you know that the black teenage unemployment rate in 1950 was just 6%? Just a tiny fraction of what it is today. Now, I want you to think about 1950. I don't even know whether there was a minimum wage in 1950. I wonder if that was a reason that so many of them got employed. Now, in 1963 or 4, when I started to work, there was a minimum wage in California. I don't know what it was nationally. But the minimum wage in California, I believe, when I went to work was $1.25, $1.50. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you what it was. I think gas was like 25 cents a gallon. Pack of smokes was 25 cents a pack. So it was relative. But he says to this candidate, 6% was 94% of black youth had jobs in 1950. But in 19, or 2014, 60% had jobs. What happened? He said, so the economist said, society today is not more racist than it was in 1950. It's not. The difference is what we have a minimum wage. Society, the fact that we have a lot of black youth on the streets is not racism. It's a factor of the regulations, over-regulations in our economy in the minimum wage. Now, Trump has proven this. They have not gotten rid of the minimum wage, sadly, but... They have got ridden, gotten rid of a lot of regulations that caused factories to leave, and taxes that caused factories to leave this country and go out elsewhere. And when they came back, now we have a very, very high rate of black, Hispanic, 
in fact, Asian unemployment is under 3%. It's down to like 2.6 or something. The difference between 1950, almost 100% black youth employment, and 2014 with 60% black youth employment is a minimum wage. That's it. It has nothing to do with the color of the skin. So the economist said when I told him this, his expression showed that he had never even thought about these issues from a market perspective. Now, listen, if you've never run a business, which I have, I've run a number of businesses. Some have been turned out quite good and others not so good. But whether they turned out good, sometimes the ones that turned out not so good were bigger learning experiences than the ones where we were very successful. Sometimes if something's a, a given success, you don't know why it's a success. You're not smart enough. But if, if, you, if you're really fighting every week to make a profit and pay those bills, you really learn a lot. So these people running for office, there's no education requirement for run for office. And even if you have a teaching credential or a bachelor's degree, it doesn't mean you're smart. Now, I've met bachelor's degree graduates of Chico State College that could not write a paragraph intelligently. They were illiterate. How that happens, I don't know. Does that mean that all Chico State graduates are illiterate? No. He just couldn't. He just was really weak in that area, and college did not help him a lick. So this economist says there are much better prop. Instead of, like, trying to tell business what to pay people, even things like overtime. I mean, honestly, if if I went to work for somebody today, I think I'm capable to negotiate my own agreement or I would work for somebody else. Now, that's the beauty of a strong economy, because then businesses are actually competing for good workers and they'll hire workers from one place to another, offering them a better deal if that worker will produce at such and such. So just like you go and you make a decision at the, as a consumer at the store to purchase this milk over that milk or these beans over that beans, and you choose for various reasons, best deal you can get, workers are a commodity in themselves. It's just like uh, right now, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant. I'm just sick of it. I wish he would just leave the Warriors. Do so. I, I don't dislike him. I'm just tired of hearing all the media scuttle about it. But he is a good example. He has teams competing for his services to pay him the amount of money he wants because they want his services. That's how it works in a free market. The government could come in and say, you must pay all M NBA players a minimum of such and such. So far, they don't. Did you know the government uh, does not, although the government has quotas on how many blacks need to be in the marketplace sometimes, the government has not told the NBA how many whites it needs to have or blacks it needs to have in the NBA. It's just uh, sort, of, sort of. Did you notice that, that blacks are the, uh, there's hardly any whites or any other ethnic group in the NBA. Did you notice that? And almost in football as well. But we didn't have to enforce that through quotas. Remember that? 
So this this economist says, I like economists. I took economics at uh, one course at uh, Sac State College. I really enjoyed it. I think an economics course should be mandatory of anybody running for office. They would learn this in an economics course. There are, he, he said there are much better policies, such as creating an enterprise zone. An enterprise zone is just an area where you're encouraging businesses to move into, and you'll give them a, a break if they'll move in there, right? Break on taxes. Uh, there are much better policies, such as enterprise zones, that incentivize businesses to open up in poor na- neighborhoods and to hire young people. Another uh, policy is good, he, he thinks, is expanding the earned income tax credit. Well, earned income tax credit is actually money you get back on your income taxes when you're low income, when you're a low income earner. So that's another way to benefit a low income earner other than forcing an employer to and, and causing them to be less competitive in the marketplace. So this economist said this is an alternative because it increases the take-home pay of low-income workers without raising the employment cost of those workers to business. Now, it, it's, it's so often that you hear politicians, in, in fact, you hear 100% of those running for the Democrat uh, nomination say, we need to force business. It, it, the next thing is going to be you're going to tell business what to charge for their products. And next thing you just run, you just take over their business. That will cause a complete crash. It, you'll notice that anywhere the government has taken over the food supply, people starve. China, Russia, Venezuela, North Korea. Any, any aspect of government or the economy where government takes over, it falls apart. If the government takes over the oil industry, it will fall apart. If the government take o- took over the dispersion, the creation dispersion of toilet paper, people would have to find another alternative to wipe themselves. I mean, it is that it is that clear and that absurd. So uh, that's just the way that is. Um uh, so I'm coming down to wrapping this up here today. So I want to, again, thank uh, Elite Universal Security. If you need a job or you need to secure your property when you're not there staring at it, you need to give uh, Elite Universal Security a, a shout out at 530-749-0280. They'll also train you to use a gun. Uh May 25th and 26th are their next trainings. They'll also do, they have taser and pepper spray classes. They have, they do live scans. They do mobile notary. You can also get a hold of my friend, Dave Greenitz. If you say, you know something, honey, let's not move. Let's not, let's not take on a big new loan and get a big new house, bigger house, bigger, better. Let's, let's like fix up this. We'll make this kitchen really cool. Make it bigger, better. Update our bathrooms. Greenitz Construction, Dave Greenitz, 530 682 9602. 
he's a he's a guy you can count on sometimes just adding on to your house adding a deck we i was raised in 1100 square foot home i didn't think it was that small but my parents built a big old deck outside it was so nice we spent so much time outside in the evenings uh where you didn't have to have any air conditioning and you could barbecue out there eat out there spill stuff hose it off it was cool very very nice thing we added probably 200 300 square feet onto the house but it was all open didn't have to heat it didn't have to cool it and didn't have to uh was easy to clean just hose it off finally the plumbing doctor you can get a hold of them they'll they will fix you up they're honest people they will take care of you they'll do the best for you they can 530-671-9111 all these guys are located up and down the sacramento valley and they will treat you right because they treat me right. They help me stay on the air. If you ever want to help me, if you want to help this uh, program, uh, you can reach me at 530-713-1838. If you want to go on the air, uh, want me to talk about your business or whatever on the air, you want to help, uh, you want to pay me to do that, I'll help 530-713-1838. All the money I get from this goes just into production of this program internet all the the costs of being online and uh, so if you want to help me that's good if you don't that's totally fine too i'm 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 good either way 530-713-1838 so all you out there in idaho i know we got a lot of listeners in idaho now we got a bunch of them i think besides california we we can track where the listeners are coming in at where i couldn't on the radio before got a big old contingency out there in missouri because of my friend dan bill and uh, he's out there talking it up and making a difference in america so thank you all for listening and uh, we will see you next week and uh, you can go on our website at no no uh, hostages radio.com and you can read my uh, articles from the territorial dispatch or you can go on the territorial dispatch.biz and read them for yourself that's a weekly newspaper uh, that you can find out another view about american society so see you later thank you so much again and uh we appreciate you bye-bye we would especially like to welcome all the representatives of illinois law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the palace hotel ballroom at this time we certainly hope you all enjoy the show and remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sugar